0: 18- Uh, The Cows, context of white supremacy, justice, dusty renegade, and for another broadcast, uh, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of racism. Uh, Today's date (coughs) is Wednesday, February 13th, 2013. So I have been told Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, New broadcast. Dr. John Hoberman returns. So excited. Uh, But hopping right into the broadcast for today, Uh, there was a report uh, that was done towards the end of 2012. I heard about this on the BBC uh, where our guest, uh, they did research and a major part of their findings uh, were that racism is underreported. In the area of the world known as Wales, uh, meaning that racism is being practiced, people are being mistreated because they are not white, and most of the time they don't really say anything about it. I think uh, the statistics were uh, one in five people report when they are mistreated, when they feel they have been victimized as a result of racism. I thought it would be grand to have her on the program. She is a professor of international migration at Swansea University. Her research themes are the area of public policy related to forced migration, asylum, and different forms of international migration at the local, national, and international levels. She also investigates the implications of diversity, in particular race and ethnicity, gender and childhood for social justice and the ability of different groups to assess resources, access resources, in particular legal rights, welfare support, housing and the labor market. Really excited to have her on the broadcast uh, joining us live from the UK, Professor Heaven Crawley. Uh, thanks so much for being with us, Professor Crawley.
1: You're very welcome.
0: Uh, is there anything you would like to share with our listeners before we get started that you think they should know about you or the work that you do?
1: Well, just to say that I've worked in this area um, of looking at the impacts of migration and increased diversity on societies. For, probably twenty-five years now, mostly in the UK but also in other parts of Europe and globally and I think we're in very interesting times because um, there is huge change in terms of the composition of societies, mostly associated with migration but not exclusively Um, and there are some very interesting things happening in terms of government responses to that which almost imply that racism doesn't exist anymore. Um, But if you go into communities and start to look below the surface at people's experiences of um, racism, actually racism is very clearly a very strong part of their everyday lives. So this piece of work was, um, I was asked to do this piece of work by an organization set up in the small country that I live, which is part of the United Kingdom, um, has a population of about 3 million, this country, Wales. Um, A very small ethnic group. population, about 4%, but very concentrated in the main city of Cardiff and some of the other cities. And, um, and we wanted to find out what it was like to live in Wales, what it was like for someone from an ethnic minority background to live in a country that is uh, relatively undiverse, but changing rapidly, and where the government is very committed to there being equality. So what does that look like in real life for people who are living here?
0: Wow. That is uh
2: <laughs>
0: one of his try to cut right to the chase. Um you I am just writing this down for myself. I'm gonna bring this up later. A government that is committed to equality. Is that what you said?
1: Yeah, the the British government um has been committed to race equality in particular since the early nineteen seventies. We have a very long history of of trying to get race equality in practice. And a very strong legislative framework making that happen. The government's also committed to other areas of equality: gender, uh, disability, sexuality. These are very strong themes in British government. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And what that means is that people behave differently in public than they behave in private, because actually it's illegal to discriminate against public people in public.
2: Mm-hmm. But what
1: people do in private, what they do in their everyday interactions with people, are quite different than uh, the government might want, if you see what I
0: mean. Mm. Uh, we will We will explore. major term I want people to keep in mind is everyday racism. Everyday racism um, that pops up and that even reminded me of uh, Dr. Joe Fagan, uh, admitted racist white man who's been on the program before. Uh, you are a white woman, is that correct, Professor Crowley?
1: Yeah, I am indeed.
0: Okay. I want to try to cover as much ground as we can so if we can... Kind of be as uh, explicit, not uh, want to just try and talk as directly as possible uh, about things so that we're not beating around the bush and getting right to it. If you can be as honest as you can bear, um, this program, Context of White, supr- context of white Supremacy, uh, I have unfortunately concluded that we are in a global system of racism, white supremacy. I use those two terms as synonyms. I use the same definition for both terms. The definition I use is as follows. A global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Uh, Do you believe that such a system exists, and do you think that's an accurate definition?
1: Hmm. It's a complicated question because it's a complicated world we live in. Um, Even the definition of white now is very contested. Um, There are plenty of examples from my research of people who would perhaps be defined as white, but who are marginalized uh, because they're not a particular kind of white, or they don't speak a particular kind of language or they don't have a particular kind of religion?
0: Professor Crawley, Professor, I want to I hop in. I don't want to be uh, interrupting you. I want to give you an opportunity to explain. But as I said, I want to kind of be direct because you're not staying with us for the full two hours. Uh, I understand that some white people are mistreated on the planet. That's totally correct. However, I believe your research, I think we both understand, is an unequal power dynamic between white people and non-white people worldwide. And just, you know, an honest response. If you don't think the definition is accurate, that's fine. Uh, if you don't think the system exists, that's fine. But I would just like an honest response. So I'll ask again, my definition for racism and white supremacy, a global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Do you think such a system exists? Do you think that is an accurate definition?
1: Um. I'm an academic and I'm afraid academics don't give yes or no answers because we deal with complexity. I agree there are systems where, and and the majority of the power is held by people in those systems that are white as opposed to non-white, for sure. Absolutely, economically, politically, socially, that dominates more or less everything that goes on in the global system, for sure. But I think there is complexity too and I think there are shades of grey and I don't really work in black and white so it's a yes and no. Wow
0: (laughs) that is (laughs) that is fascinating Um, (laughs) that is fascinating okay Uh, your organization uh, organization that you uh, put this study published this study with the race council uh how do you pronounce this c-y-m-r-u could you pronounce that for me this is cymru cymru am i cymru. saying am i saying cymru. it
1: correctly cymru is the welsh word for
0: wales oh, so, okay. so i would awesome.
1: say to you Croy e cymru which is welcome to wales
0: wow i have learned something okay uh the race council cymru Uh, this organization it stated uh, at the very beginning of the report that this is an organization uh, your aim is to promote integration what do you mean when you say uh, our aim is to promote integration
1: well I should be clear I don't work for Race Council Cymru I am a, a professor of international migration at Swansea University so I was commissioned by the organization but I don't work for the organization so my piece of research is independent academic objective Uh, rigorous, and all of those things, Um, I think that the organization um, very much wants to have a society in which there is equality of access to resources and to power, and often they are the same thing. Um, And so by integration, they mean, as much as anything else, opportunity of access. Um, But I don't speak to the organization, so I couldn't tell you precisely what they mean by that.
0: Okay. That is a very important distinction. Thank you for letting me uh, letting me know. Okay. But it is at the front of your report, though. I mean, you get to this, this sentence, this declaration about integration and justice and all that before we even get to what you say in the report. So I do think that's important. But yes, yeah, okay. Um, you were commissioned. So did you, were you compensated financially? Did you get a certain amount of funds to do this research?
1: Yeah, it wasn't a big amount. The organization got some funding from um, a funding uh, organization. It's, uh, it's the Big Lottery. It's a well-known uh, uh, source of funding in the UK for all sorts of things, community projects um, of one kind or another, and also research. So they, they got a small amount of money. Um, they asked me to do the work because I was prepared to do it for a small amount of money because I'm passionate about the issues. So I wouldn't say that I was paid a market rate, but it covered my time for a short period over the summer and it covered my expenses because I traveled around the small country that I live in talking to people. So we we interviewed uh, 30 or 40 people. We had focus groups with about another 40 or 50. And we did uh, an online survey through the community organizations to try and access as many different opinions, as many different experiences as possible. There are people who live in Wales, who are born in Wales, who are from an ethnic minority background, but who are first, second, third generation, and then there are people who arrived much more recently as a consequence of migration, and we wanted to capture the history of that racism in Wales, not just the contemporary experience. So it took a bit of time to do that, and it's not the most detailed study ever, but it's probably the most detailed study in Wales. So it tells us some things that we didn't know before. And it enables people to organize themselves politically around some factual information about what that experience looks like and what it feels like, which is important.
0: What was the exact dollar amount that you got, that you received to do the work?
1: Um, I'm not prepared to say what the exact dollar amount was.
0: Hmm. don't you think that's relevant like it's it's listed like where you got the funding from like just so we get a a ballpark idea for how much a piece of research like this costs to conduct
1: it depends what people um, feel research is worth I mean my time my time is my time my time is is probably about six hundred dollars a day okay I was paid for ten ten days of my time and I probably worked for about 40 that gives you an idea
0: okay I still, I mean, I don't, I just, I don't understand what's why you would be hesitant to reveal that information. I mean, it should people be public.
1: Make, people make judgments about research based on how much money it costs. So this study, ordinarily, if you were paid a full academic rate, would cost maybe forty or fifty thousand dollars. It costs less than five thousand pounds, which is about seven thousand dollars, and people would sometimes make assumptions that it's not a good. Study because it didn't cost a lot of money, but hmm. it, you know, it's an interesting thing. Okay. That's
0: what happened. Okay, well, see, I wouldn't even. That's why I wanted that information because I wouldn't even know. Uh, now that now, I will keep that in mind. That that's something that people do think about when they evaluate research. And you say a study like this would normally cost. If you were paid according to your normal rate, a study like this would cost 40, 45,000 You said was that pounds or US?
1: That would be U.S. U.S., okay. So £30,000 probably. Okay. And it would take place over quite a long period of time because you would have to spend a lot of time building up the networks of people who are prepared to talk to you very honestly. But because I worked with the organization that has, the organization Race Council Cymru is made up of 30 organizations that work with minority communities in Wales. So they provided the access to people. So it saved a lot of time because they already have the trust and the commitment politically of the minority communities living in Wales. So that provided me with an access route that is often quite difficult to get and quite time-consuming, and time is money. So that's why we were able to do it for much less money than normal. And and people often assume, I'm afraid, that if a study is cheap, that it's not good quality. And I think it can be if you have the right kind of... Uh, approach to the research, and you work with the community.
0: Understood. Uh, The definition that you use in this report for racism, uh, which is important. I see a lot of people, they go off talking about racism and do not provide a definition. Uh, You write uh, discriminatory or abusive behavior towards members of another race. Um, Is it possible for white people to be victims of racism
1: it's possible for I'm in my opinion and it is an opinion because varies hugely how academics approach this issue I think that white people are the victims of xenophobia as opposed to racism
3: personally
0: okay so the answer do you think white people can be victims of racism are you saying the answer is no
1: I'm saying no, but I know that some people perceive xenophobia and racism to be more or less the same thing. I think it's quite different.
0: Okay. Uh, okay. Right on. Um, I, well, given that you say that, that is interesting because it seems in the study that you, you outline kind of at the very beginning that this is supposed to be looking at how uh, black, Asian minority ethnics, uh, how they are impacted by racism, everyday racism, and if they are reporting uh, these incidents of racism, but you include white people in the study as well, or at least people who who are listed here as white, is that correct? Um,
1: it depends on your definition of white, as I said at the beginning, so there are some people who are from what you might call ethnically white backgrounds, particularly travellers and gypsies, but in the UK, the travellers and gypsies uh, are defined as a racial group, so technically, even though they're phenologically white, they are a racial group for the purposes of British legislation, so it's quite particular. That was intended to um, make sure that that particular group, which is very marginalised, is brought in in some way. But um, so they're defined as a they are defined as a race, a racially separate group in the UK legally.
0: Oh, okay. so in the UK, is it that more powerful white people do not accept these folks as white, the gypsies? And what was the other group?
1: Uh, Gypsies and travelers. These are. um, Yeah, I mean. (laughs) I don't know enough about the kind of racial origins of the group to be able to say. I mean, this is why I, I say I can't necessarily work in pure black and white. I think there are complicated um, different differences here between different groups. But this is a group that historically um, has been very marginalized and has been treated as outside of any kind of... Um, uh, normal, what you might call normal access to resources in terms of education, employment, health, because they have a very different way of life, and so their their characteristics become associated with their way of living and their culture rather than their race. But at some point somebody in the UK decided that made them a race and that they were distinctive from white. I can't tell you who that was, but that was what was decided
0: a racist suspect um See, and I'll just interject quickly. I don't really think it's that complicated. It sounds like these are individuals who are most likely not accepted as white. I think you said that. You said that a couple of times that someone decided that, hey, these folks are not white. They are a distinct group to themselves. They're not white. Uh, and it sounds like they're mistreated. Yeah, and
1: I, I mean, I, I don't know enough about the background of this community, and this community has differences within it. But my understanding is this group, the Roma and the Gypsy Travelers, originate from India originally. You know, not so long ago, a couple of centuries, but that's the historical origins of the group. Oh,
0: okay. That's
1: But phenologically they appear white.
0: That's... Don't let that fool you. Talk no, about that.
1: I'm... <laughs> Oh, I'm talking
0: to listeners, really. Um, (laughs) um, Moving forward, you uh, on page 33, well, I guess keeping all that in mind, on page 33, uh, you write that finally some white respondents commented on xenophobia that exists in some parts of Wales towards those who originate from other parts of the U.K. Uh, It says, we all know it's okay to be racist, but it seems... Oh, excuse me we all know it's not okay to be racist but it seems okay to be racist a bit against white people i thought that was fascinating can do you remember this part and can you elaborate yeah
1: this was um this is interesting because this is also part of my history uh, i i'm english in the sense that i well who, who knows what my national idea is i i was born in london I was taken to Wales, I grew up in Wales, then moved back to England, and then have moved recently back to Wales. For those listeners that don't know, the UK is made up of four different countries. The dominant one, obviously, is England, and it's dominant not just politically and economically, but also in terms of the sort of the the discourse around the national identity. So the uh, other countries, Scotland, northern ireland and wales are very they perceive themselves to be very marginalized not just politically and economically but in terms of how they're regarded by the english and there has been a history of the english going into those regions and extracting resources and acting in some would say a very colonial manner Um, so there is a history of antagonism between the populations in the smaller countries which are less powerful and the english so when the english come to places like Wales which they have done historically there has been a history of antagonism towards English including setting fire to properties in the 1970s and that was the time at which I arrived as a small child from England to Wales and experienced this firsthand. and um, you know it I wouldn't call it a racism because we're all white or the people moving between the two are white, Um, but there was definitely a marginalization, ostracization, and violence towards those that were perceived to be English because of this history between the countries. That's what they're referring
0: to. Hmm. Okay. White people do fight amongst each other. Um, This is on page 25. Uh, You get some of the anecdotes uh, when the people that you have in the study are talking about how they are victimized uh, where people white people are practicing racism against them and one person they said that their son was called a Mars bar mm-hmm. uh, different person uh, they said that they were called uh, was it chocolate chocolate bar um, yeah
2: there are
1: there are lots of these kinds of anecdotes I mean they, I think they're pretty shocking in the sense that they are the sorts of things that you might have imagined would have happened some time ago before people, um, people realized this kind of way of treating people was unacceptable. So they're very kind of crude, if you like, examples of racism. So there's an example of somebody who had sent their child to a school that was one of only two non-white families in a small village or town, and the child had been given... A, a, A role in the Christmas nativity play they're a big thing in the UK and that role was as a monkey even though there is no monkey in the nativity play and even if there were you wouldn't necessarily put the only non-white child in that role you would imagine that a school would be very um, careful not to be racist in that way that they would understand that that would send the wrong message in the context where that kind of discrimination is illegal but The sort of casualness of this, the everydayness of it, the fact that they perceive this racial difference to be not just significant, but significant enough to want to differentiate that child from others. I found that remarkable and very old-fashioned in some ways.
0: Oh, they do that about the president here all the time. I, I lost count of how many times that he is called a nigger or a monkey or both. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's every day. It's, it's every everything. day. Um, but one thing I did want to point out, though, uh, this and this is consistent. This is also every day here in the States as well. There are different racial slurs. Uh, in fact, Bill Mayer, the, he has a talk show, and he calls President Obama uh, Count Chocula. Pretty regular. Yes, it's a cereal, a breakfast cereal, where uh, the character is, it's a chocolate breakfast cereal. And I think the character is a vampire or something. So he's playing off that. But I find it interesting that you have these different racist slurs, where black people are being referenced as chocolate, when it seems that most of the white people I know, they obsess about chocolate. They love (laughs) chocolate. Do you like chocolate?
1: I'm, I'm a bit partial to some chocolate. Yes, yeah, darker the better,
0: generally. <laughs> wow. So, what do you think about that? Why would you have racial slurs calling black people chocolate? I mean, chocolate is something people love. I mean, it's. And what do you? Th- I. I
1: don't. You know, I don't think we should try and rationalise white people's racism. I think it's. I mean, I can't. You know, as a white person, I can't get. I don't get it. I can't relate to it. I can't make any sense of it. I don't understand it. I don't get it. So I know, I don't get it. I don't know what else to say. It makes no sense. I mean, you know, we have this irony here, and I'm sure you have it in the US too, where, you know, some of the most popular, most kind of uh, looked up to pop stars and musical icons are all black. You know, Beyonce, Jay-Z, they're the ones that people hold in this high esteem as being the kind of celebrities that they would want to in some way aspire to. And yet they disconnect that from their their everyday experiences of how they treat black people. I can't, I can't tell you why that is because it doesn't make any sense
2: to me.
0: Mm. I, I would say uh, they don't disconnect that entirely uh, from what I, as I said. They call President Obama a monkey every day. I've seen where uh, those folks, Jay-Z and, and Beyonce, they get mistreated and, called the same ugly names racist names as well so they don't they don't escape it entirely Um, but they
1: still they're still held up in some sort of esteem or some sort of regard that gives them a status Mm -hmm. you know not just a status in terms of their their economic status because they obviously do very well financially but also in terms of how people look to them not just black people but white people too so i don't understand how people hold those people who are non white in that kind of esteem and then simultaneously treat the people that they meet every day in a completely different way. It's peculiar. Mm. I don't anyway. That's the, just my personal reflection.
0: That peculiarity, uh it, it is a peculiar pathology really. It seems global, uh, because so many of the little idiosyncrasies uh in terms of Uh, Calling black people chocolate as a a slur is supposed to be an insult. That's a global thing. That's not just happening in the Wales. It seems that white people are doing that worldwide. Uh, Calling black people niggers. That's not just happening in the States. That's happening worldwide. Uh, Why is it that you think white people are behaving like this on a global scale, abusing darker people?
1: Well, let's be honest. It's nothing new, is it? It's just taking a different form. And I guess that different form is enabled by all sorts of shifts in terms of media and globalization and connections that didn't previously exist. But it's just a a replication of an old way of, a long-standing way of being. Because, I mean, my, you know, we're not really, we're moving away from the report here, if I'm honest, and telling you more about my personal views, I suppose. But like I said, I find it very difficult to, even understand why people behave in the way that they do and i find it very difficult to um therefore to, to know how to challenge it because if one of the reasons why we did this study and one of the reasons i work in the area i do is to better understand where these things come from in order to try and do something about them but i i think a lot of people have tried to understand racism for a long time not you know i'm not alone there and um i think it it's very difficult to grab a hold of. It, it sort of moves and shifts and slips around in a way that's clearly designed to prevent anyone doing anything about it. It works very well to maintain the system. Um, but it doesn't make a lot of sense if you look at it from a sort of academic point of view. It doesn't add up. Um, mm. Anyway, that's just, a, as I say, a personal... And I think the thing that's really striking that came out of the research is how black people themselves sort of um internalize it is the wrong wrong word but um the way that people in the study that i've just done dealt with this situation was not by challenging it although they did sometimes but basically modifying their own behavior to try and avoid being treated in this way and that is really the thing that is the worst of it, really, is that people change their behavior rather than challenging other people.
0: Yeah, that happens here as well. And it is yeah. unhealthy. Uh, one of the ways that I can tell you uh, with regards to you were talking about it's, it's so difficult to get a, an understanding of racism. Uh, people not being uh, white people, not being honest. Uh, when, particularly when they talk about racism, white like people not being honest. And I wrote this down when we were talking earlier in the program. Uh, you, you said that in, here in Wales uh, that you have a government that is committed to equality. And I wrote that down, and I was I was laughing even as you said it. That right there, uh, in my view, is an example of how racism, the system, the global system of racism, white supremacy, is maintained. We have you, a white person, and you're a professor uh, with some, you know, hey, my time is valuable. I normally get $600 a day for my research. So a skilled professor, major university, says that we have a government that is committed to equality, but then you're doing a report that says that you are living in a country that is saturated in, quote, unquote, everyday racism. That right there, when you have two huge contradictory statements that either we are in a country with a government that's committed to equality and we are also saturated in racism where individuals who are not white are mistreated report major types of mistreatment all the time. And they don't even – it's (laughs) underreported. They're being mistreated all the time and it's not even reported. It can't be both. That is just – that's a major contradiction. Do you see what I'm saying?
1: Absolutely, because governments say that they're committed to changing racism, but they're not. They don't do the things that need to be done to actually change it. So there's a very strong discourse in the UK, and I'm sure it's the case in the US and elsewhere, where governments claim that they want things to change, but actually don't do the very things that need to be done to change them. And I think it's interesting that they even say that they want to change things, but they do. They spend a lot of time saying they want to change things. And it's not just on race, it's on other things too, like gender, for example, which is an area I've worked in a lot. Um, So they they certainly say that they want to change things. I mean, if you look at the gender issues, people have been saying that they want to end domestic violence for, well, 30, 40, 50 years. But still the most prevalent crime in terms of um, violence against women, it happens all the time. And nothing has actually changed really fundamentally. Um, in terms of women's experiences of violence. Um, if you look at rape reporting rates, if you look at um, you know, conviction rates for rape offences, nothing's changed in 40, 50 years of legislation. So Conflation. they say that they want to change things, but they don't necessarily do the things that make that possible, in part because the people who are in power, whether it's the judiciary or the police or government, they're mostly white men. And you can read into what that what you want, but I mean, I think the fact that they're white and they're men makes a difference on both counts.
0: Wow, that was conflation. Hope people see that pattern. Conflation. Um, I would say in this particular instance, because uh, you said the government, that's part of what people in power do. Um, they will say that they are committed to equality when they're really not. We, you know, they're just not being honest about what it is that they really. Desire to do. In this case, we're talking about you. Uh, you said that you are in a government committed to equality. Now, if that's not true, if you're saturated in racism, and you can't say that you're committed to equality if you got racism in all these different areas. You shouldn't be saying that. In this case, it was you that presented information, in my view, that is not accurate. And I've just... This is I don't, the
1: I don't this think did. the government's committed to equality. You said that. The you said that earlier. Said it's committed to equality. You
0: said that. You said earlier in the program here in Wales with a government that is committed to equality. And I asked you to make sure that I got... This is what you're saying. You didn't say we're in a, in a government or a country that claims or alleges to be committed and say that. You said, I'm in a country with a government that's committed to equality. Now, if that's not true, you shouldn't make statements like that. In fact, in my view, it would be best, if it's a problem, racism is underreported, it would be best to say that we are in a country that is committed to racism, white supremacy, because that's what we have. That's what this report shows, racism in all areas of people activity. People talking about racism at school, racism in housing, racism in education, all areas of people activity. This is a, and it's underreported. It's a bigger problem than we even think it is. That would be best.
1: It depends what you mean by committed. I mean, if you want to look at policy, if you want to look at the legislative framework on paper, I live in a country that is committed to race equality. On paper, I do, because it, there is plenty of legislation. There is legislation that says it's illegal. You're not allowed to do the things that you do. There has to be equality in employment. You're not allowed to discriminate. And on paper, this
2: government
0: I mean, it just sounds like exactly what I just said. It just sounds like this is a part of, in my view, this is a part of how white people maintain racism, white supremacy. In fact, I would even fast forward because, you know, we have all these papers. I've seen this. We've had white people on from all over the world who have done studies like this talking about how racism exists, everyday racism and what have you. What should be done to solve this problem? That was something that was suggested in the study. It was supposed to be. Hey, we should be looking for solutions, things to neutralize this, things to successfully combat this in all areas of people activity. Did you come up with any suggestions, things that can be done since racism is underreported?
1: Well, we, uh, to be honest, a lot of the suggestions were things that already should be happening. I mean, that's the reality. That one of the ways in which this system, if you want to call it that, is maintained, is by creating a framework for doing things about it which then doesn't get delivered so it's very difficult it's very disempowering for people because when you make a claim to say that something should be done about it you simply get told well that thing already exists on paper so we would say for example that the police should act more effectively to deal with incidents of racism where they occur and they should respond in a different way so that people feel that they can report these incidents and something will be done about it. But that already exists. And when you talk to people about their experiences, as you say, only one in five report. Now, there's all sorts of reasons why only one in five report. Some of them don't know they can report. Some of them have language issues. Some of them fear that it will escalate the situation and their neighbors will then attack them. But a large number... About two-thirds of the people we spoke to were not happy with the way that the police dealt with the situation, even when they reported it. Now, when you talk to the police and you talk to the structures that are designed to um, enable the police to respond to, to racist incidents in a particular way, they will tell you that they are very aware of this situation and they have a really good policy in place for dealing with hate crime. But I don't see that in practice because something happens between this layer of policy, this idea about what should happen and what happens in practice. And the reasons for that are very complicated. They're partly to do with individuals. They're partly to do with um, systems that perpetuate ideas that actually make it very difficult for people on the ground to say what really is happening to them. Um, But making recommendations is very difficult because a lot of people will tell you, that those things already exist and you know you find yourself repeating things that already supposedly are supposed to happen and don't happen in practice and that was what we were trying to do in the report we were trying to say look this framework exists this is not supposed to be happening and it is why is it happening and i don't know that we have the answers because it's not supposed to be
0: (laughs) because uh Perhaps we're in a, a area of the world, whole planet really, committed to racism, white supremacy. Perhaps that's what it. Is. And again, that would have to be taken in context. As what's happening in Wales is not an isolated event. Exact same thing uh, happening in the states. Uh, we're not supposed to have this problem. We've got legislation, civil rights bills passed, and what have you. How can this be all around the world so coordinated? <laughs> when you're getting the same results, same, even the same terms being used frequently. Uh, I did see we had a caller uh, with a question. Uh, the person that dialed in on Skype, did you have a question for uh, our guest, Professor uh, Heaven Crowley? The person that dialed in with a hand up, did you have a question? Okay, I'm not hearing them. Can I be here? Uh, oh, okay, yes, we can hear you.
3: Greetings. Uh, Greeting the to the Gust and green Gus and the dollars. Um I wanted to ask um you said that um you uh that that that, that um non white people um you said they don't they don't um practice racism but they practice xenophobia so I wanted you to explain what you mean by that.
1: Okay, what I was referring to was not, um, not, it was not non-white on white, it was white on white. So it was white people being xenophobic or um, hostile and marginalizing other white people who come from different kinds of backgrounds, either because they come from different countries uh, in Europe, um, different uh, backgrounds within Europe, or because they come from, in this case, um, England rather than Wales. So this is white on white on white, if you see what I mean, rather than black on white. And that's why I, I called it xenophobia rather than racism.
3: Oh, so, so you, you were saying that, that that black people could be um, that that you see that had nothing to, to, to do with non-white people.
1: Well, there is, a, there is a debate in the UK, and I'm sure it exists elsewhere, around whether or not there is black on white racism. And there have been some incidents of violence of black attacking white which have been defined as racist incidents. But no, in this study I was referring specifically to white people being hostile and xenophobic towards other white people who come from different countries of origin.
3: Um, it's interesting because you say that you don't understand why white people practice white supremacy racism like as uh, Gus laid out in the definition but um, I don't know it kind of seems like it's own reward Um, and there's nothing comparable coming from non-white people so just uh I guess, um, hmm. I guess I don't really have a question. It just seems kind of interesting. I mean, uh, it just seems like, like it's a, like you've got an equation with only one side to it. Um, if you're saying that you don't understand, not, not that, you know, I'm, I'm looking for you to say, oh, well, this is why, you know. But um, it's just uh, aggression is aggression, you know, and it's just I mean why 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 um you know what's what's the need well, to uh make it into this really cerebral thing when it's like you know this really terrible you know it's like if there's a rape victim and you're just like hmm why did she get raped let's like think about it instead of being like you know it's incorrect in all cases and let's like you know. End
2: it forever, you
3: know.
1: Yeah, I mean one of the one of the issues and I I don't know how dominant it is in your context, but in Europe one of the big issues is not just race but national identity. And okay, sometimes race and national identity are similar or they're connected in some way. You know, there are dominant ethnic groups within associated with particular national identities. But in the context of increasing diversity, where actually, you know, there are, for example, one in one in five kids in the UK is mixed race, then these very um, clear distinctions between black and white, the racial distinctions, have become more complex. I'm not saying they're not important, but national identity has become a sort of way of, of, of people positioning people in certain ways in the, in the debate, which often can be very disempowering. So the, kind of, the issues around which country you come from, as opposed to which race you are, seem, at least in Europe, to be as important in some ways as the ethnicities. I don't know, it's a very complicated mix.
0: Uh, hang on one second, caller. I wanted to, uh, We had one more person dialed in. I wanted to see if we could get their question in as well. Uh, SDOT, did you have a question for Professor Crowley?
4: Yes, sir. Good afternoon to uh, Gus and all the other callers. Good afternoon to the professor. Um, I, I have two brief questions, but the first one is, could you describe or explain to me, because uh, explain to me what exactly is xenophobia in practice? I mean, what, what what does that mean? Have you been a victim of xenophobia? Have you practiced xenophobia? What does that look like on a day-to-day basis?
1: Um, it looks very similar to racism. <laughs> That's the reality in terms of the way it often operates. But... We're looking here at the kind of, if you like, the explanation as to why people are treated differently, and when it's white on white, it's very hard to say that it's to do with race. And so the term xenophobia is used to describe the way in which people who are not racially different necessarily treat in a very um, marginalizing and sometimes aggressive way people who they perceive don't share the same characteristics as them. It could be that they are from a different country, they could be from a different religious background, that they are marginalized for reasons other than an obvious racial difference.
4: So, correct me if I'm incorrect. What you're describing appears to be a caste system or a hierarchy of whiteness between who is the whitest of the white is that what
1: you're saying? Um, I guess if, if you say it in that way, that's probably about right. But this study wasn't really about that. There were only one or two people who were commenting on the fact that they, as white people in Wales, had experienced this um, this marginalization, which we call xenophobia. But um, they their argument was that it was the same as racism. And... I don't know that I would share that at all. I think it's quite different because ultimately, yeah, I suppose there's a sort of hierarchy. So there's a hierarchy of whiteness and beneath that there's still the non-white who end up being even more marginalized than the other not-so-white people. It's it's incredibly complicated because we have layers of national identity over the top. Um, but yeah, I guess, I mean, this this study doesn't look at that in any detail. I'm sure there are other studies that have a look at that in much more detail.
4: And and just finally, um, are you familiar with what an an oncologist does? Uh,
1: Not terribly, but tell me more.
4: That would be a doctor who would treat a cancer patient. Okay. Now... When you look at a disease, a global disease like cancer, if that disease were to be obliterated tomorrow morning, what do you think would happen to all of the individuals who practice uh, oncology?
1: They would be out of the job.
4: So by that definition, if racism, white supremacy were obliterated tomorrow, what would that do for you
1: for me personally um yes i have always found very interesting things to do my research on so i would still be in the job
4: okay thank you
2: you're welcome
0: uh, uh before we uh but our guest, Miss Crawley, or Professor Crawley, my apologies, uh, before we let her uh, get to the rest of her evening. Um, just with words, I think words are very uh, important. Um, you, in the report at several different points, uh, talk about or use the word fair on saying that many of these non-white people, that they were not being treated fairly, uh, that fairness is supposed to be a goal. Um I'm pretty sure in Wales that term fair uh is also equated to white or whiteness uh beauty justice correctness uh is that is that correct is that term used in the same manner in Wales
1: Um fair as in light
0: you mean Correct yes ma'am
1: Um in it's not a word that's used in that way, but it's an interesting observation that you make about the history of the word. Yeah, I guess that would be right, but I hadn't ever seen it in that way.
0: The, like they don't say such and such. This person has fair skin, uh, or the weather was fair today. They don't say that in Wales.
1: N- no, it's it's not really a British term anymore. Is um, historically it certainly has been, but I would say that was not. It's not very contemporary. No.
0: Okay. Um but you you said you are aware of the history of the word even though it's maybe not used as as frequently in that manner today but you are aware sure. of the hi- Okay. Um in my view it it just it supports racism white supremacy when we are saying that as a result of racism non-white people are not being treated fairly that in and of itself supports racism. I just
1: Because it's a hierarchical term you mean.
0: Well, it's it is using, saying that me not being treated correctly, meaning that I'm not being treated white. I'm not being treated like a white person. Uh, it, it just the logic, the history, the etymology of the word on a subconscious and conscious level. It programs people to think that individuals who are deserving of correct treatment are white if you are not white. You are not It's an
1: interesting observation, right. but I don't know that I would agree because that term is used in relation to disability or gender equality and not just race. So, you know, I mean, I could I could take your point that, you know, being white it becomes a sort of benchmark for lots of different kinds of marginalization. But I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't thought of it in that way. So, you know, it's an interesting thought, but I think it's used not just in the context of
0: race equality. Absolutely, but I, even, even when it is used not just talking about racism uh, and I would even say that term right there, race equality, we don't have race equality. Uh, I would say just being accurate with terms even when it, the word fair is being used when we're not talking about racism we could be talking about uh, people that are old being mistreated and say oh this person is not being treated fairly. It's still Compounding the underlying program that people who are deserving of correct treatment are white. It is equating white with correctness, and also, implicitly, non-white darkness with incorrectness. And that is ubiquitous if you look at the way the English language is structured. Uh, non-white is always a, so it was a dark day. Uh, the black market. It's ubiquitous in the English language, and I think we should really, if if we're serious about trying to solve this problem and making changes, this is something that is simple that would have a big impact in everybody's mind so that we stop equating correct treatment with being white. In fact, this might even be a part of why racism is underreported. As you said, people just, non-white people, the victims of racism, just get accustomed, they get comfortable with this mistreatment because it's every day, this might be a part of breaking that pattern of just accepting racism. Stop thinking that people who are deserving of correct treatment are white. Everybody is deserving of correct treatment.
1: Sure, I mean, I I hadn't thought of it in that way. I will pass on that suggestion to the organization because as a black organization, that's something that they haven't ever engaged with, I suspect. So I will let them know that that's a different way of looking at things.
0: I would appreciate it if you could do that. It's, it's even, uh, this is a suggestion uh, from a author uh, of several books on racism. That's one of his suggestions, that people discontinue the use of fair uh, in that manner and point out uh, the racist implications when using that term. I can forward that information along so that you can, I can write out the page and, and you can give that information and just have them think about it to see if it makes hmm. sense. Well, it's
1: interesting, as you say, how those words, especially when you think of the dark and the black, how, how those are part of our everyday language, not just our as in white, but they've become internalized by everybody as a way of framing all sorts of different kinds of experiences. So I'm sure you're right that that kind of pervasiveness of a way of perceiving difference, it eats into everything that we do. And... I I think that's a very interesting way of looking at it.
0: Mm. Do you all have Snow White over there?
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Fairest. (laughs) Who's the fairest? I mean,
2: it's (laughs) it's right.
0: And that is really important because that is a child story. So that means you're getting that programming at two years old, three years old, four years old, about what you associate whiteness with. White is the fairest. And it's the same thing. So you've already got white with beauty, and now it's just going to be white with correctness. I mean, it's, it's ubiquitous. We really should be paying attention to how that, you know, works to support racism being in place every day at all times.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, I think the everydayness of, of the racism that we found in this study was, you know, that there were lots of interesting things to do with this study, and it wasn't, as I say, a huge study, but the everydayness, the casualness of these terms of the way in which people engage with one another, um, and the fact that no one actually challenges it. Um, that's, that's, in a way, that's the kind of most important finding, but it's also the most difficult one to, to deal with, because trying to persuade or encourage or give people the capacity to want to put their head above the parapet is very tricky. And one of the, one of the uh, people in the studies... Um, talked at length about the experiences of racism he had, had gone through in relation to employment. And he has recently been in the national press in the UK because he has taken Virgin Airlines to court uh, for what he perceives to be racism in how they dealt with his um, employment application. And he is suffering the consequences. It's, it's a very personal, personally very difficult journey for him to make that challenge. Um but he's doing it and um and we'll see what happens. but you know these are big organizations and he what he did was he submitted his c v in two different names: one was a black African name, a Liberian name, and one was a what you might call a kind of Anglophone name, and one got shortlisted and the other one didn't same c v so uh mm. you no. Know. Is there are but there are plenty of anecdotes I can give you and plenty that you can give me by return. The question is what we then do about all of this knowledge that we have about the situation. Amen. That's more difficult.
0: Right on. Uh what do you know the person's name? Uh who's doing the suit with Virgin Airlines? Or
1: Um you just you just go to the Daily Mail website, you'll find him.
0: Okay. Okay. I'll do that. Uh, thank you for Lady
1: Mail having- is one of our favorite newspapers as you can imagine in the, here in the UK. I'm sure you have equivalents in the US but it's one that keeps us very animated with the kind of uh, stories that it tells of not just race but all sorts of different groups. Any group that is different from the majority um, is a target for this
0: newspaper. Huh. Okay. Daily Mail. I will. I've read them before, but I uh, I will make sure I keep an eye on it now for sure.
1: It's very popular in the U.S. because one of the reasons why it's become such a big newspaper in the U.K. is it's developed a a very strong online presence because it has a very strong celebrity section based on U.S. celebrity culture. So actually, it's developing a very big U.S. readership, even though the politics and the the kind of political stories are very British. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting cross-Atlantic experience, I guess.
0: Wow. Okay. <laughs> I will definitely keep an eye on it now. Uh, really enjoyed having you on the program. Informative. Uh, you can check out the study uh, that Professor Crawley uh, put together. Uh, race equality and excuse me a report on race equality and racism in Wales an explanatory study Uh, just came out in 2012 Uh, thoroughly enjoyed the dialogue Professor Crawley thank you for hanging in even though I know you're not feeling well
1: no it's been good to speak to you and it's always it's always good to have these dialogues and I've learned a lot
0: for sure I'll be sure to uh, email you the uh, the uh, section from the book that talks about the word fair if you can pass that along that would be uh, that would be appreciated
1: Good. Thank you.
0: For sure. Have a great evening.
1: You too.
0: Anyway, goodbye. Bye. Context of white supremacy. Mm. Uh, we will take a quick commercial break. Be right back. Uh, I will actually play the report. Uh, I think this is where I first heard about Professor Crawley's work. Uh, this is from the BBC uh, in November of 2012. So we'll listen to the report and then do a quick commercial. We'll be right back. Context of White supremacy.
2: Well,
1: the research, as you say, was looking at the extent to which there is racism in Welsh society and also at issues of race equality in terms of access to services of various kinds and in terms of employment. And what we found that is that in terms of um, Race equality. Um, Only a a small proportion of people think that there is race equality, those from uh, black and minority ethnic backgrounds, and they're particularly concerned about issues around employment. Um, About a quarter think that there's equality in that area, and many have personal experiences of being discriminated against or um, having difficulties in the workplace. And we also found um, very strong evidence of racism with more than three-quarters of of people experiencing racism directly themselves. What sort of things Um,
5: are we talking about in their daily lives, then?
1: Well, we're calling this everyday racism. It's it's things that happen when people get on a bus, they have verbal abuse hurled at them, they may be walking down the street and people are shouting things at at, at fans as they uh, walk along. Um, Or also things that are happening in the workplace and in schools for example and in the places that people are just going about their daily lives and that kind of racism can be very uh, pervasive and very undermining for people.
5: Yeah. Um, Now the suggestion is that they are, um, rather than complaining about this, they are adapting their behaviour.
1: So we asked people about whether or not they'd reported their experiences of racism to the police and in fact only one in five of those people who participated in the research said they had reported their experiences. So we asked them why they didn't report their experiences. A variety of different factors, sometimes people didn't know that they could or they felt that if they reported their experiences, they wouldn't be taken seriously. But also those people that had reported their experiences said that there there hadn't been any action taken. So particularly in these everyday forms of racism, if someone hurls abuse out of a car as they drive past, even if you take the registration number of that car, people feel that nothing's done about it. And so, as you say, they change their own behavior. They don't use public transport. They try and cover up their skin so that you can't tell that they're from a black or minority ethnic background. And many young women in particular are choosing not to wear the hijab because that specifically targets them for racist abuse from passing people. Uh,
5: we've got a 50-year a history of the race relations industry, if I can uh, put it like that. Are things no better today than they were, say, 30 years ago?
1: Well, I think it's fair to say that there have been some significant improvements. I mean, I spoke to people who'd arrived in the 1960s and 70s, and certainly their descriptions of racism in Wales were far worse than what we're seeing today. But it's important to acknowledge that there have been very rapid changes in Wales over the last 10 or 15 years, in terms of increased migration. And there's also been um, increased poverty and social exclusion in some areas combined with a negative public debate around migration and I think those factors have combined to really um, make some of this behaviour almost acceptable um, and not challenged by not just um, people from BME backgrounds themselves but but the rest of us who sit by and and watch this happen.
5: Um, I mean we're accustomed to having um, black and Asian minority communities in Wales There are also, in recent years, been a substantial increase, as you say, in migration from Europe. Um, Has that complicated things?
1: Well, it is a very complicated picture, and and all I can give you now, really, is the headline figures. But you're right that the kind of migration we've seen has meant that areas previously that were quite undiverse, like, for example, for in and Carmarthenshire, or um, areas of Wrexham, they've seen quite a lot of economic migration, and at the same time, some of the areas, particularly in South Wales, Newport, Swansea uh, and Cardiff have seen more asylum and refugee migration, but we've also had lots of students coming to Wales because we've tried to increase our um, further education sector to try and uh, develop the economy in that respect. So there is more diversity and it is a very mixed picture across Wales and it's important not to generalise about that. But it's also important to be explicit and acknowledge where racism is taking place in order that it can be challenged because this isn't the sort of society that we necessarily want to see continuing in this way.
4: racismdaily.com your number one source for global news reports on race racism and overt actions of white supremacy from asia to the americans to europe to australia to africa racism is not a thing of the past it is our current reality be informed be globally informed you should be the first to know racismdaily.com racismdaily.com racismdaily.com
2: Is racism hurting you? On issues of race, are you unable to speak, think, and act with clarity and confidence?
0: Are you tired of laughing when nothing is funny? Smiling when you are not happy? Agreeing when you really disagree? counterracism.com, you can learn specific strategies and techniques to counter the behaviors of the people who practice racism in all areas
2: of activity. Using words correctly, following counterracist logic, even counterracist science projects designed to reveal what racism is, how it works, and how to counter it. The open source code writing format allows you to pick and choose from a variety of counterracist suggestions, so you can produce the code that works for you stop by counterracism.com today and help replace racism with justice that's counter-racism.com do you need
4: a one-stop shop for all of your multimedia needs Triumphant Multimedia is a skilled team of professionals with a passion for great marketing and chic design. Our specialties include consulting, brand development, copywriting, and creative graphic design that's second to none. We also offer photography, photo retouching, videography, and video editing. At Triumphant Multimedia, our goal is to provide highly effective creative solutions built to suit any individual need or budget. Give us a call at 678-732-8067 or check us out online at tri
2: Multimedia.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome. This is Justice with the Cows Radio program. If you want to learn about, understand, and counter racism, white supremacy, be sure not to miss a cows episode. We keep them jammed, packed with constructive information to sharpen your use of words, to help eliminate the system of racism, white supremacy, ASAP. Also, to be able to invest in my counter-racist efforts, co-hosting the Cows Radio program, please visit my blog, just do justice today. You're just saying just buckets and buckets of work. I got an uncle real crazy. My uncle B,
3: 55 years old, hates white people, married to a white lady. And he's sitting around going, you know, these crackers ain't shit, except for Susan. And he tried to explain the whole thing to me one day, say,
0: yeah, 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 I got a white wife. I love her. She loves me. That's all that matter. But I tell you this, if the revolution ever comes, I'll kill her first. Just to show these crackers I mean business
2: Motherfucker cracker ass, motherfucker cracker, she cracker motherfucker. hey hey hi honey motherfucker cracker, I kill my cracker kids too.
0: <laughs> Context of white supremacy. She back tomorrow evening. Be Thursday, February 14th, Dr. John Hoberman be uh visiting the cows. This is his second visit. He was with us in September of 2009. Uh, we were discussing his book That's So Wild. Uh and we were discussing his book Darwin's Athlete and uh I was just on the webpage and they had a an article. Uh it's on uh the MSN com site, uh, Darwin Day forces holiday calendar to evolve. Darwin Day celebrates Charles Darwin, best known for his theory of evolution, uh, major influence on the thinking of racist man, racist woman, racist child. Uh, Dr. Marimba Ani talks about that in Yorugu as well. But uh, Dr. Hoberman, Darwin's athlete, uh, the book that we talked about in 2009, that has a lot of constructive information. He is a white person but that book does have a lot of great info. Um, But I had been after him trying to get him back on the program for quite some time uh, because he was on the program. It was so long ago. He was on the program when Tiger Woods was like, (laughs) before the whole car accident and divorce and all that, when it seemed when white people were pretending like they really liked him, that's when Dr. Holman was on the program and he, at one point, I think he he wanted to have dialogue about Tiger Woods, and he said, I'm, I'm fascinated to hear your thoughts about Tiger Woods, because he seems to to break the mold, and I kept saying he's a victim of racism. He's a victim of racism, even before the divorce and the, the car accident and all that, even before that. He had been, uh, they made the joke about lunching him in an alley, and uh, they, a fuzzy zeller down at the Masters saying uh, he was going to have fried chicken and whatever for the Masters dinner. I mean, they just it has just been a constant stream of trifling racist remarks. It just intensified after the whole spat with the, uh, the deadly lethal white woman in uh, December of 2009. But yeah, I had been trying to get Dr. Hoban back on the program to talk about that. He remembered that portion of the conversation. And uh, when I spoke with him, he even said that he felt like the moment that it was clear white people were changing how they were going to publicly relate to and talk about Tiger Woods was the Vanity Fair issue with Tiger Woods on the front cover with no shirt on. And he said it, it was as though he had been stamped as, uh, as slave convict, uh, just having him out, no shirt on, auction block, um, yard time, if you will, either metaphor works I think, for what he was saying, but he said he felt like that was that was a major branding by white people with regards to how they were going to be dealing with Tiger Woods from this moment forward. Uh, Vanity Fair, Vanity Fair, definitely should be reading that. At any rate, uh, he has a new book, Dr. Hoberman, uh It came out in 2012 called Black and Blue, and it deals with racism in the healthcare industry. And the thing about it that is intriguing uh there are a lot of books that talk about racism in healthcare they had the unnatural causes documentary i think it's like 7 hours uh they have uh obviously uh harriet washington's medical apartheid Hopefully we can get her on the program at some point. Uh, Dorothy Roberts, uh, Fatal Invention, as well as Killing the Black Body. She, I'm a big fan of Dorothy Roberts. Uh, she's now at the University of Pennsylvania, formerly at Northwestern. She's been on the program three times. We talked about Killing the Black Body, as well as uh, Fatal Invention, both of which deal with uh, racism in the in the healthcare industry. Uh, we also have Vernelia Randall. She's been on the program, I think, three times. Uh, the first time we talked about her book, Dying While Black, which has a lot of great information on racism, white supremacy, um, and health care. Uh, we also had her on in uh, the summer of 2012 to talk about uh, so-called Obamacare, uh, the racism around it, you know, pros and cons of the plan. Uh, let's see. Uh, Dr. Nancy Krieger, she was on in November of 2009 at Harvard University. Related to what we talked about today, Dr. Krieger, her research uh, around uh, how racism impacts cardiovascular health of black people, as well as what I thought was really revealing, she said that not talking about racism has adverse health consequences, Uh, is what the data that they've collected suggests. uh, The people who experience racism and talk about it, make an effort to deal with it, they seem to be in better health than people who experience racism and deny it, say that there is no racism, they don't have a problem with racism. Those people seem to have health deficits uh, for being in denial about white supremacy racism. Real important information, I thought. Anyway, it's lots of data on this. Here's is not necessarily about that aspect his book is on white doctors refusing to admit that they are racist and he says that there are tons of books and studies that talk about racial health disparities and every time white people find a way of evading and obfuscating and using uh, buckets and buckets of words To say that it's not that the doctors are racist. That's not what it is. It's something else. It's uh, black people eating too much fried chicken or the black people aren't smart enough to understand what I'm saying or the black people don't take their medication or they don't have enough money to get the services or something. It's got to be something other than these white doctors are practicing racism got to and his book just kind of goes into more detail about they always find a way of avoiding that and how there is this mythology that somehow doctors are immune to racism and it's just it's it was not what I expected, it, and it could apply for any, any white people, really. I think this is just a standard – you heard some of it on the program today. It's just a standard, standard operating procedure for white people to publicly not talk about racism. I think Josh Wickett, he has uh, a film review of the movie Fight Club with Brad Pitt where he says that's like the number one r- rule for racism, white supremacy. Don't talk about racism, not publicly. Uh, you wait and you do that behind closed doors when we get home. Uh, when we, you know, all the niggas have left the office area, then you can talk about it. But you're not supposed to be doing that publicly. Deny, 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 deny at all times. Um, but, yeah, anyway, um, <clears throat> looking forward to having Dr. Hopeman on the program tomorrow. Uh, I will see if we can make time to revisit the Tiger Woods from the uh, first program. I will be sure to have a sound clip of that segment because it was pretty interesting. Uh, but that will be tomorrow. And then, of course, Friday we have the book club. Section number four, Melba, Patilla, Beals, Warriors, Don't Cry. We haven't even got to them actually entering the school yet. It has been uh, seems like we've covered so much and they haven't even really done their first day of school. Uh, maybe that will be coming up this Friday. Uh, looking forward to that as well. Had two quick stories I was going to tell since we had a little bit of free time, and then I'll see if any of the folks that are on the line, if they have anything uh, to share about the guest or Anything else? Uh, Two quick stories. Uh, Number one, I was going to get groceries. This happened a while back. I feel like I hadn't been doing any programs where I'm just chatting. So catching up uh, different things that have happened that are significant, I think, lessons. Uh, So I'm going to get groceries by myself. I'm walking. I'm right at the entrance. I'm going to grab a cart. And for some reason... The carts were not uh, there weren't a lot of carts, so I had to walk further than I normally would to get a shopping cart. I go to get it. And as I'm walking down, I can see there's a group of white males, It's like three of them. And they're entering the store and they seem to be intoxicated. White people and alcohol. <laughs> That's major danger. So I get my card and I just I register that in my brain computer like, OK, a potential threat group of you know young, I would say, under 25 white males that look to be intoxicated. Definitely keep an eye on them where I think they are in the store. I go in. I'm not getting a lot of stuff. So I get my items. Doesn't take a long time. And I'm walking to check out and I notice the white guys are at the register now. Things kind of slowed down. I really, I mean, this felt like the Matrix, right? It reminded me Dr. Cambon, when he was on the program. He said he referenced uh, the movie Buck and the Preacher, Sidney Poitier, Ruby D. Great film. It's a Western, too. Uh, but Buck and the Preacher, Sidney Poitier, Cowbell, Sydney Poitier, Ruby D. Uh, and he says that there's a scene where white people have, they have Ruby D held hostage. And Sidney Poitier's character, he's riding up on his horse and he's going in uh, to get Ruby D, but he stops and he can he can just sense that something is wrong. And Tim just stopping and making an alternative plan. He figures out, you know, that these white people are there, he figures out what they're up to and he foils their plan. And he said, just that little moment, he said, his you know, he was he was in line Uh, He was connected. He was open to the universe, giving him those clues, giving him those signals about, you know, what's happening in the environment and you need to shift things up. And he said that we do not get that information. We do not get those uh, clues, those signals, because we are either listening to music turned way, way up, killing your ears and disturbing everybody around you. Uh, We're drinking. We've been out at the club drinking, not sleeping well, uh, intoxicated with all those chemicals and stuff in your body. Uh, And he was saying when you do all of that, it confounds your ability to pick up those cues from the universe that are trying to let you know when you might be in danger, when you might want to stop and and reevaluate your environment to make sure that you're safe or to, you know, take to calibrate potential dangers around you. And if you are in proximity with white people, there are many, many dangers around you. So back to the checkout. I see them. And if I was to give some distance, I'm maybe say five meters, five meters away. I see them. I look and there's a cowbell at the register. Kid you not cowbell at the register. So I feel like I'm getting my clues. So, I don't get all the way up on them. They're they're actually at the register paying for their goods. I stop about a meter and a half, maybe two meters behind them. I'm next in line right after them, but I stop. I leave uh, an inordinate amount of space just because threat. So I'm standing. I'm just keeping an eye, you know, not doing anything. wait about maybe 40 seconds. Excuse me. Made about 40 seconds and one of the white guys, he turns and he looks at me. They've been like laughing, joking, talking real loud, obviously under the influence, talking to the person at the checkout. And one of the white guys, he turns around and he looks at me and he says, "Uh, oh, I want to give you a hug, man. And I'm just like, oh, God, see, I I knew it. I knew it. And I tell him, no. And I make a step in the opposite direction because he had already started to walk towards me. And so now we have that extra space that I left and I had a shopping cart. So I have a physical object in between us and I have extra space. So I just took one step uh, in the opposite direction from him. I said no and I kept my eyes out. And so he stops. He says, come on, man. And I just, no. At that point, I just I held my ground. I'm behind the shopping cart, and he stops, and then he goes back. And the other white guys that are with him, they start laughing, and, and uh, probably telling each other racist jokes. And so the guy, uh, he says, man, I was all in a good mood. I was all happy, happy and everything, and I just just wanted to give the guy a hug, and then you had to be a jerk. And I said, now, see, I'm just in my brain. I'm like, see, it gets, goes from zero to terrorism, So fast. I mean, you just you can never tell with white people because it can escalate so quick. Uh, And I I didn't see any other black people. Uh, It's just white people that, you know, to be expected, you're going to be on your own. So I'm just standing, waiting, same spot. And uh, the other white guys just ha ha ha. And uh, the white guy says, yeah, I was I was in such a great mood and everything. And, And then you had to be a jerk. Says it again. He's real intense about him. Like, wow, okay. And uh, he they pay for their goods and they go ahead and leave. And I go up. I'm the next person in line. And the white cashier racist. She's like, uh, people are so strange, aren't you? Wow, I can't believe that. I'm just like, mm-hmm, right, right. And so I'm just kind of keeping an eye out. It looks like they're walking out. They're not doing anything. And I say, in fact, I'm going to wait. I paid for my items. And I said, I'm going to take five minutes and wait. So I go, just go sit down, read the paper for a second, and uh, then I go to the front and I check to see if they've left because I know how white people get down, particularly once they've been drinking. Uh, Let's hang out in the parking lot and get him. So I really tried to check, scout the parking lot to make sure things were safe before I exited. Um, Just one of those moments reminded me of Dr. Kambon, you really got to be alert. Uh, You got to be on your P's and Q's. We had so many programs last year where people were talking about how they were out uh, getting stopping just to get gas or they were out at a restaurant or what have you and things escalated in 10 minutes, five minutes. They were, you know, in the middle of a confrontation, a violent confrontation that could have life altering consequences. You really got to be. Uh, Just mindful. And I think alcohol was involved in at least one of those uh, situations. So really got to be mindful, um, just, just on alert. You do not want to underestimate the amount of damage that white people can do. They are extremely dangerous. Uh, just keep that in mind at all times, assessing potential threats in the environment and what you can do to minimize those threats, even thinking that something should happen. Where can I get to? What's the, the quickest way that I can defuse the situation? Just that's the world in which we live. Racism, white supremacy. We are on the battlefield. The race war has already started a long time ago. Uh, the other thing. I was gonna, man. I should have, should have probably shared this pack. Uh, this summer, uh, there was a black female. I was going out. This is back in the still beautiful weather in the summertime. Black female. It's Sunday morning. I'm going out. Let's say it's 10, tenish. ish and I'm going out. And this black female, she comes driving down the street. She has a flat tire, and so uh, I'm like, you know, if you have a jack, uh, I can, I can hook that up. No problem. And uh, she says, yeah, I think I do have a jack. So I'm looking in the trunk, and I don't see it. Turns out she doesn't have a jack. So we uh, call. uh, She has uh, AAA. So we call AAA, and they're like, oh, okay, we'll come out, knock that out, give us uh, 40 minutes. Uh, So I'm waiting uh, with her because we had used my phone to uh, call the AAA people. So uh, we're waiting for them to get there, and she's talking. She's lived in the neighborhood for many years. And she pretty much she knows everybody on the block. She's calling people by name, and everybody knows her. Everybody that rides by, they know her, and the whole nine. She's like the, the queen of the neighborhood. Uh, so she's introducing me to all these white people, which I'm really not feeling. Uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of agitated. Like man, I do not wanna. I don't wanna talk to all these white people. I don't wanna hang out with them. I don't wanna know their name. Like I don't. <laughs> the introduction just uh you know I, I really could do without all this so this goes on for a while i think i've shaken hands and and chatted up with three four different white people i've never talked to any of these white people before and so after about the fourth time she's talking and she says uh yeah you know uh do you know about that trayvon martin thing and i said yes ma'am and she says uh yeah, that's it's it's just so dangerous being a black person and if I had to guess she looked like she's probably maybe sixty five. Uh so I mean she's she has seen how white people get down. And she says, Yeah, it's just it's so dangerous being a black person and you just never know and she said, Yeah, that's so I'm trying to introduce you to these white people so that if they see you and if you're walking through one day, they won't be like, oh, my God, who's that strange? You know, and uh, she just it was uh it was just such a profound moment because, you know, like I, I was agitated about having to talk to all these white people. And um, I'm sure she was not pleased because she was late going to church uh, with her, her phone thing. Uh, but and I wasn't talking about racism. I don't I don't bring up racism. Uh, when I'm around black people non-white people i just i don't bring it up uh, I let them bring it up, and then even if they do bring it up i don't you know go for the newly children it's white got them to just kind of go along with them, I'll ask questions and what have you, and just see how how receptive they are to uh information but it was such a it was just such a profound moment where um that was uh, it was it was like she was trying to do what she could to Provide some protection uh, from a weak position, like if if maybe if they know his face, if they recognize him, maybe they won't shoot him. Um, Yeah, it was it was just uh, it was a moment. (laughs) It was it was a moment. I will remember for some time, Uh, plus the look on her face, just the expression of uh, victimization uh, and knowing, you know, you can you can really be helpless uh, if white people decide that they, you know, they're feeling terroristic today and we're going to kill us a few niggers, or a few thousand niggers, and, and it can be nothing you can do about it. At any rate, those are just two incidents that happened uh, over the past few months that I thought were noteworthy. Uh, I will check, see if any of the folks that dialed in, if they have anything, comments they want to share uh, about the guest uh, or any other items related to racism. Uh, should be, I think, our caller in the Bronx, Dot. anything you all wanted to, uh, to share.
4: Good afternoon. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Um, just touching on what we talked about the show last week about the victim by the name of Christopher Dorner, briefly recapping the news. Um, as I entered the office today, I was uh, bombarded with all these questions by a lot of my uh, racist suspect coworkers, trying to solicit me for opinions, what did I think of it, and so forth. And then I had a uh, one black male coworker come into the office, and you know he was like, "Oh, we have to." He said this loud. He's like, "We have to stick together." They killed the brother. We got to stick together. And he was saying it loud, and he was saying it in a joking manner. And I noticed a lot of white folks perked up and looked to see whether he was being serious or whether he was joking or not. And it's just hard on a day-to-day basis to go into the workplace environment. I I can't imagine what Christopher Dorner dealt with on his day-to-day basis, um, being an enforcement official and... When you have events like what is alleged to have occurred yesterday with him, in addition to the State of the Union Address with President Barack Obama, and deal with folks who try to solicit your opinion so that they can gauge whether or not you are a non-aggressive Negro or if you are a combative or troublesome sort of Negro, so... Just my, I guess, just getting that out because, you know, it was a pretty hard day on the plantation for me.
0: Wow. I'm not surprised. I thought when I was watching television yesterday evening, um, it just, it was Chris Matthews. It was Chris Matthews, the white guy that was calling everybody a racist. During the presidential election, he was calling Donald Trump and uh, I think former Governor Sununu and some of the other white people that were making blatantly racist comments. He was calling folks out left and right, calling them a racist. He was on last night, and this is on uh, MSNBC. He said, there are 350 million people in America, and tonight we'll be focused on two, President Obama's State of the Union address and Christopher Dorner. I just thought, wow, that is that is incredible. Like it was, it was more than once during the evening they had a split screen, and on one side was the State of the Union, and the other side was the standoff with uh, Christopher Dorner. And uh, I mean, it was just incredible. I had said that. I think several people had said that before. They thought, you know, somehow, you know, President Obama will be implicated in this too. But uh, I, I just, that was, in my view, sending out some really strong messages to white people about how they should be feeling about black people. Um, in addition, the workplace incident, that is, that is amazing. <laughs> I mean, that is, I feel like that is taking your job, your security in your hands right there, uh, making that sort of comment and not understanding racism, white supremacy, not understanding white people like. Wow, um, <laughs> I don't even. That's what did you What did you say? Like when the the victim was was doing this, we got to stick together. They they killed the brother. What, how did you respond to that?
4: Well, I, I I said to him, I said, well, who exactly are the we? And he said the brothers. And I said, well, I don't know all the facts of the actual case. I know what the news media reported and I know that they said that he is alleged to have committed a number of so-called crimes. I don't have any evidence of these so-called crimes, and I don't know whether this individual is terminated or not, so therefore I don't know the actual facts. And then he was like, oh, here you go again with the conspiracy stuff. And then it really got the white folks perked up. So they start looking at me and, what does he mean conspiracy stuff? I said well I don't deal with any conspiracy theories I'm I I'm unfortunately living a conspiracy reality and I said um you know but I don't engage in trying to discuss what happened or what didn't happen on the news I don't know so I'm not going to have that conversation but it it it, it was just it, I guess it was what Neely Fuller Jr would call racial showcasing in the sense that this individual really was trying very, very hard to try to get myself as well as a number of other victims engaged in a conversation for the benefit of white people to hear what black people thought about Christopher Donner.
2: <clears throat>
0: wow. Yeah, that is, that is, uh, wow. It's dangerous, it's dangerous. Being around confused victims can be dangerous Um, for your livelihood, safety, I mean, wow. And that that really has been a big part of why I've been, you know, hoping non-white people will be cautious, they will reserve judgment We'll refrain from responding with a lot of emotion. Like I was I was concerned, like I was listening to a radio broadcast where they were talking about the the Donner situation and it was black people and they took a break and they played NWA's Hundred Miles and Running when they took the break. And I just I just thought, Wow, that is that is way significant. Like why would they choose this or who chose this song to be played? Uh, because it seemed like they were taking a similar stance, uh, like in support of what this guy was doing. And this is, you know, he was striking out against a racist police department, historically racist police department. And I just thought, wow, that is, I, I felt, it just, it felt very I'm even going to reserve thought. It was just, I will reserve thought until I can can come up with the best way to describe it. But just particularly knowing if you know anything about N.W.A., I even was reminded of Professor Griff and him talking about how white people constructed that group uh, and for what purpose, why they constructed that particular group, uh, and looking at the arc of, of the people that were in that group. and where they. It was just fascinating. I'll reserve comment until I can put words together that are... Constructive and accurate in With regards to how I feel about it uh, You know it's
4: interesting You say that because This individual uh, Came into the office Playing N.W.A. Fuck the police And then playing Dr. Dre uh, I think the song is The Day the Niggas Took Over On the Chronic album And he was playing that repeatedly Playing it pretty loud in the office So it's pretty interesting That you mentioned that
0: Mm, mm, mm. (laughs) I mean, wow, that is just, whoo, confusion is lethal. (laughs) Confusion is lethal. That is, I mean, there, Victor, you can do what you want. I just, that is wow, wow. Like that, to me, that would be the equivalent if you have seen, if you have seen Roots, And after Nat Turner, like, if you could go and get a shirt printed out, (laughs) this is uh, uh, something with a photo of Nat Turner on the front of it, like, on the plant. I mean, wow. Like, you are asking for trouble from white people. You are majorly asking for a lot of attention, a lot of trouble from white people. Like, uh, and NWA of all groups, like, just – I was, I was thinking, I can at least say this part, I was thinking with N.W.A., white people are very good at deception, and they are very good at packaging images of non-white people that should be vilified or celebrated or what, however they want you to feel about that group. They are very good at that, even, even packaging together groups of, of non-white people and saying, oh, these are, these are gangsters or terrorists evildoers like they are very uh very skilled at that and the, pe- the people don't even have to be you know criminals they could just be whatever actors they're not doing any of that but the whole world will be convinced that they're whatever white people have said gangsters terrorists whatever the case may be it's very uh yeah more to come on you know,
4: perhaps. You yes, know it, was, it, it, it was sad because uh one of uh, one of my other coworkers, a white female who uh, dresses very masculine, and she's only been there about, she's a temp, so she's been there about a week, maybe even less than a week. I think she got there maybe last Friday. So she's only about a week new to the department, and when he was playing... The day the niggas took over, I think that's I think that's what the song is. Uh, she stood up and started rapping along with the song, and he was rapping with her, and they were rapping back and forth, imitating as if they were Dr. Dre and you know some of the other death row individuals, and and you know a lot of the other uh, white folks were laughing that the two of them were you know, rapping this end of uh Dr. Dre song. So it pretty dis- this was probably the hardest day on the plantation since uh, President Obama uh won the reelection. This was probably the hardest day.
0: Wow. That is saying a lot. Wow. In the middle of Black History Month no <laughs> Wow. I'm sure that's going on across the country. That's why I'm just I'm real hesitant, you know. I'm not, I don't want to see I at Totally agree. Yes, you have racism rampant. in the police department is racism, white supremacy. I mean, I think Dr. Umar Abula Johnson uh, laws, the legal arm of white supremacy, the police that is the enforcement arm of white supremacy. That's what they do. Uh, So yes, we've talked about that on the program from a global perspective, not even just the LAPD. Uh, We've talked about it. You know, this, this sort of thing happens all over the world. Granted, that doesn't necessarily mean that what's happening in this particular incident, or at least what's been reported about the victim of racism, Christopher Dorner, that doesn't mean what we've been told is true. Um, I mean, I just have a lot of reasons to be skeptical. And, and then when I see responses like that, where it just seems like uh, white people are, are just, they can easily orchestrate the emotional responses of victims of racism. And that's what this looks like to me. Like, just, I mean, that's, oh, man,
5: <laughs> that is
0: just wild, like, to know that that's happening, that's being repeated. Like, that's the response. Like, people seeing this and, yeah, it's time to get nigger with attitude CD. Yeah, this is a good time to listen to 100 Miles and Run or at the Police. So, I mean, I mean, it just seems cartoonish. It's, <laughs> it's worse than Django Unchained. I mean, and that too. People comparing it, saying, uh, "Oh, Django," and I mean, it's just—it just feels so orchestrated and fake. Um, and I could be wrong. I will, I will mute my line. Uh, the Bronx call—you're with us as well. But the Django has—has has Django been been popping up? Have you been hearing that merged with this dialogue on what's been going down with uh, Christopher Dorner?
4: Oh, yeah. Uh, When when I walked into the office, one of the uh, first things he said is, well, at least my man jangled two of those mfers before he got smoked. So jangle has become a term of, uh, I think, for some folks, of killing white folks. At least he jangled them. So, you know, I, I, I guess it's become a popular term now, a slang term.
3: Esther, so that that's that's, uh, I missed um when you were first saying what, what, what was said. Um what was the original comment? I got cut off for a
2: minute.
4: Oh well, you know, the my coworker um uh, had said to me when I got into the office, you know, he was like, you know, we gotta get together, we gotta organize because, you know, they 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 smoked our brother, what are we gonna do about it and all this other stuff and, and you know and I, I knew what he was talking about but I I, I fiend ignorance and I was like, well, what are you talking about? He was like, Come on man, you didn't watch the news, you didn't see they burned him like they burned him like some ribs last night. And I was like, What? He's he was like, Yeah, the brother out in LA and all of this and as he was saying that a lot of the other white coworkers were per perking up and, you know, looking to see what my response would be, you know, whether I would join in or not. And, um, you know, he had uh, come into the office, this same individual, he was playing um, NWA after police and Dr. Dre, the day the niggas took over. I think that's the name of the song. And, you know, and it and it just seemed like this individual was really trying to goad myself and another uh, black male into some sort of conversation about this. And the other black male actually um, in his work area, he actually has um, like um, pictures on his wall that are like classic um, issues of like um, Ebony Magazine and old issues like that, Um, and then he has an issue of a newspaper clipping of Emmett Till, which oftentimes white folks walk by the desk and they'll look at that and give him kind of a look. And, you know, there have actually been some white folks who have said to him, why would you have such a horrendous image up there? So this black male has already been identified as a particular troublesome male. So when the other black male um, came in today and was trying to engage us in this sort of conversation and playing those sort of inflammatory records in the context of this conversation, it, it it was just a very hostile work environment today, you know, for me.
3: Mm. Wow. also on the news, yes, I mean I don't know, you know, through another I mean, like the I g Hadia Adia um Pendleton, Pendleton Yeah, she she was mentioned in the uh, in the um the uh, address. Um and um and I guess they they, they they picked up a couple of black males to throw up in the newspaper, you know, do with dreadlocks and, you know, a couple of young young males, you know, to say, here they are, you know
2: just know, um, I, yeah.
4: I mean uh it 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 was just when I when I just think about the way the day played out, you had uh, individual who was accused of you know um, killing a number of white male officers as well as um two other victims and leading them on this almost a week long manhunt for this individual and within this or within what's attributed to this individual as his manifesto, he's actually talking about he supports the uh, agenda of President Barack Obama in terms of the uh, gun legislation, but then you look at this individual would have been an individual who would have been in possession of the very same firearms that they're talking about restricting. And just to think about the news last night that at around 8 p.m., seven thirty, eight 8 p.m., it comes on right before the State of the Union. They have him supposedly surrounded and burning in a, in a cabin in the woods, and immediately after that, you have uh, the black male who they claim is trying to take away their guns. So it's like you've got the Negro with the guns that has everybody terrified, and then you have the Negro who's trying to take away their guns, which would keep them safe. So it was a pretty interesting night.
0: Mm -hmm. They didn't even show the State of the Union address in Los Angeles. I was watching KTLA. Um, They, I think at the point when the State of the Union address began, they were, I think the cabin was on fire, But they were not sure if he was there. Uh, They hadn't heard any gunshot or anything at that point. It was just fire. And the helicopters left. I thought that was significant, too. I've seen helicopters at night. The helicopters left, so they didn't have aerial footage of most of what happened from like 6 p.m. on. But anyway, um, they announced on KTLA in in California – uh, we're not showing the State of the Union address. Uh, you can stream it online. You can go to the Internet, blah, blah, blah. But we're sticking with this. We're going to be showing Christopher. And that's what they did. They stuck with that and showed it for the duration. I thought that was huge. Like, I, I would like to know if people have information on, you know, when the last time something happened that interrupted the State of the Union address. Uh, I know it wasn't a national thing, but even just, you know, for certain networks in California, not showing uh, what the president had to say. Um, if it's all right with you, I was going to play Dr. Dre the day the niggers took over. This is it's in reference to the rioting that took place after the uh, decision, the verdict, the not guilty verdict in the Rodney King case, uh, which is important because I have heard that mentioned. Uh, he even you know, mentions that uh, in the. Manifesto that's been attributed to uh, Mr. Dorner. Uh, so I was going to play that since this song is being played along with other greatest hits from uh, NWA. Uh, just a little context uh, Dr. Dre, The Day the Niggas Took Over.
4: And I'm going to say this and I'm going to end mine.
2: If you ain't down for the Africans here in the United States, period, point blank, if you ain't down for the ones that suffer in South Africa from apartheid. Tell me you need to step your progress to the side And let us brother And I'll talk to you And so put some in that I got my finger on the trigger, so nigga, wonder why. For living in the city, it's too hard. I got my finger on the trigger, so nigga wonder why.
0: Concerned, then I'll mute my line if anybody wants to share. If you are interested in sharing anything, the number to dial is 760 569 7676, and the code is 564 943 pound. Press star six if you have questions or you want to participate. Uh, but I'm just I'm concerned. Um, someone wrote this on my Facebook page. I posted the link so people could could watch the uh, KTLA coverage of the donor situation yesterday evening. And a the person they wrote, uh, Dorner is inspirational. If you think, take practical steps, train, use white people's resources, knowledge and techniques, you can be an initial force. This will require more refined techniques and tactics, but Dorner has paved a way of new thinking and reaction. Academic studies need to be studying the consequences of Chris Dorner and the LAPD. Now, the last part, I definitely think, absolutely, really, everybody should study what happens as a result of this. Like six months down the line, A year down the line, three years down the line, uh, and I would say be specifically looking, has this improved the quality of life for black people? Did this help black people get a better understanding of racism, white supremacy? And if so, how was that better understanding demonstrated? Concrete answers, ways of demonstrating how this had a constructive impact on black people, five years, six years, a month three months down the road. I think that absolutely we should be doing that. But in terms of a new way of thinking, a new way of responding, I, will, I should have I'd really been on my toes. I had a clip from Randall Robinson. He did a great interview on Book TV. I did make a sound clip of him saying uh, he had a, a dull dislike of white people, and I just thought that was great. Um, but he also, in that same interview... He said he was in the Caribbean. He was in front of a group of black people. And he asked them, How many of you all know who Toussaint Louverture is? And no one raised their hand. And he said, How many? <laughs> I kid you not. He says, How many of you all know who Snoop Dogg is? And everyone raised their hand. <laughs> and uh, I mean, that just that says it all right there. Uh, because whether it's Toussaint Louverture or Omar Thornton, or Colin Ferguson, Lavelle Mixon, Maurice Clemens, Mark Essex. There have been many, 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 many black people who have used counterviolence uh, and went out and killed white people, specifically even killed white police officers. Mark Essex in New Orleans, he was targeting white or well, I can't even say that. He was targeting police officers, but he too killed uh, black people. Uh, but he was targeting the police department, and he said explicitly because of racism. Uh, Lavelle Mixton, he was targeting the police department in Oakland right after in response to uh, the Oscar Grant shooting in 2009. Uh, Maurice Clemens, that's right here in Seattle, uh, 2009, same year as the uh, Oscar Grant shooting and. Lavelle Mixon, uh, killing several police officers in Oakland. Maurice Clemens, he killed, I believe it was three officers, and he shot a fourth uh, before he was ultimately killed. Uh, and they also put some of his family, uh, got time as well for aiding and abetting a cop killer. Uh, point being is that these sort of things happen pretty regularly on the plantation, and it doesn't seem to do anything to replace white supremacy with justice. It doesn't seem to do anything long-range to improve things for black people. In fact, most black people don't even remember these folks. Uh, Nat Turner, you could probably put him on that list. Maybe some people have a vague reference, but they don't really have a deep understanding of what he was about. That's been my experience for the most part. And like I said, it's people 2009. You don't have to go back that far. It's people recent. People who you know have done the exact same thing, and I mean you can see that I've seen the results. it just gives white people an excuse to uh go on the attack against black people It gets them revved up that's what they enjoy doing murder and death that's what they love that's the racial what is it psychopathic racial personality what dr. Bobby E Wright talks about wisdom of psychopaths this is what they enjoy. Killing. Go out. That's what we get to do. We get over, and they get paid to do it. After all the overtime hours, white people accrued in L.A., California, searching to kill a black male. How can it get any better? We get paid money to hunt a black male. Are you serious? And I get some time on television? Oh, man. I will mute my line. When I was listening to the record, you know,
4: it it's, it's shameful, but I have to be direct and honest and admit I was really bopping my head to that record. <laughs> and, and I was really just thinking about the early 90s when that was a record that I drove around in my car and I played it loud repeatedly over and over again and just thinking about you know, the impact that that particular record, that particular album itself had on me. I mean, I didn't even realize how deep of an impact it had on me until the record began to play. And I realized that I know every single word of that record. that's, That's quite telling, you know. And even earlier when I watched my co-workers, my two co-workers wrapping it in, in the office and the white female uh, doing the Dr. Dre part and no one uh, took bridge with her uh, having a great deal saying nigger this, nigger that, whatever. It was pretty interesting, you know. Wow, you just really don't sit down and really think about how impactful content is on you, particularly music. And uh, I could just imagine a lot of people right now playing that NWA album and really getting in that mindset as if they're going to go out there and do something to racist man, racist woman, racist child and find themselves out and outgun, gunned and in a turkey shoot.
2: Mm,
3: yeah, that definitely brought back brought back that old school kind of um, memories. I think you're a little older than me. Not, I mean, maybe just a little bit, but I wasn't really a rap aficionado, but um, just the sound, you know, it's like I think music is, even as bad as that message was, I think it, it's deteriorated even more since then. So I guess it's kind of easy to harken back to something that's, a little bit more solid than we got now, but a uh, very unfortunate message. Very silly. Um, something I was thinking about. Slightly. Um, I mean, just just a, a thought to interject, interject um, Gus. Uh, there was a um, another program. Where um, uh, not Darwin's Athlete, but it was another. Um, I, I I have it like um, you know I I have the um, it's on my per, you know my permanent you know uh, library of cows episode episodes, but um, it was a black author who authored one of those books talking about a similar thing like racism in um, in sports, but a black author, and he was talking about um how Joe Paterno, and this is from like 2011 or, no, this is from 2009 or 10, but he was saying that Joe Paterno was commenting, saying that they were raping athletes. And that just, just kind of like, you know, another kind of like moment where something was spoken before it actually occurred in the news. Um, I just want to throw that in there if you remember that. Um, but he wasn't saying that they were actually raping, that 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 Penn State was raping, actually literally was actually raping black people. But he was saying that the system was raping them, like the system of a plant, the plantation system of recruiting was raping them. But it was kind of like a Freudian slip, but he said that Joe Paterno said that they were raping the athletes at Penn State. But anyway, about t- uh, t- t- today's uh, today's guest. Um, uh, I was thinking about she was saying that uh, white people practice what she said xenophobia against other white people. I th- I definitely think that um, Scott's comment was more accurate, saying that it's just it's just racism taken to a uh, this really fine degree where white people are picking out the most white, white people within the white population. And, um, I guess Israel, um, and it, it, Israeli, uh, soccer fans who are notoriously racist are, or, um, like, uh, they actually set on fire, like, a uh, I I guess they recruited, the Israeli team recruited a couple of Muslim um, or Islamic so called Islamic uh, um, they look like white people um, to the to the Israeli team and the Israelis went nuts and they like set the uh, clubhouse on fire where they have all the trophies and everything and uh, just you know throwing rocks and just you know racist comments at these uh, white Islamic players who were on the Israeli team and uh just I don't know. But the Pope who's leaving the office right now, I guess he he like belonged to a um a uh, a group that was speaking out against uh Israelis. You know, so then it's this, like these white Catholics hate the white Israelis, the white Israelis hate the white Muslims, the white Muslims want to blow everybody up. It's just uh I don't know. It seems like. We could do more than just uh, sit around and say, "Oh no, white supremacy is uh, going to be around forever." It's like, I mean, white people are kind of a powder keg, so <laughs> yeah, pretty interesting.
4: Yeah, I I, I found the uh, the guest um, explanation or clarification of xenophobia to be pretty interesting. Um, I, I found it to be buckets and buckets of words as well. Um, it once again, um suspected racists uh trying to place all the attention on themselves. Um I find that they have a sort of racialized narcissism that even though they are
5: dominating
4: and subjugating red people, black people, brown people, yellow people globally, they continue to want to paint themselves as victims in some shape or form and not take responsibility or be accountable for the condition of the global climate as it is today Um, so that they will... Talk about xenophobia, the battle for whiteness, who's the whitest of them all, the fairest of them all, so to speak, um you know whether you're a Mediterranean white person or a Nordic white person or whatever you know who's the whitest of them all, and they will try to equate that with all the other isms racism, sexism, classism just to reclassify themselves as being an oppressed group rather than the group that has the privilege and the power and that is dominating and subjugating all other people on the planet. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the... uh... (laughs) <laughs> that was a great uh, Dr. Welsing moment when she said, uh, the darker the better. She was talking about chocolate. It would have been a great follow-up to ask if she had sex with a non-white person right after that.
4: Um, oh, she, Gus, uh, I wanted to ask before you moved on. Um, there is a show, I don't know if you have access to Netflix or not, but I would highly recommend it to you and anyone else. Who is listening. It's called House of Cards and it stars uh, Kevin Spacey and it's a, a Netflix original series. Uh, we have Netflix. So I watch sometimes on my phone en route to the office or I watch it on my laptop and it's a, I think they have, they have 13 episodes and it, in the show he plays a congressman and um it's very interesting to see how him and his wife, both suspected racists, wheel and deal for uh, privilege and power in in the area of um, politics. It, it, it is, I mean, um, it's probably one of the best shows that I've seen that deals with politics in a number of years. So if you get an opportunity. I'd
0: encourage you to check it out. Okay. it's. Uh, I don't have Netflix, but it does look like it's online. Uh, if you folks are interested in watching, it looks like they have um, all the episodes that are out so far. Uh, you can just go to TV links, tv-links.eu and do a search for House of Cards, and the episodes should pop up. But uh, much obliged. I will make time to view an episode. Um, I don't watch. People have to tell me about television programs to watch. I don't really watch television, but uh, The Walking Dead I am watching video should be coming on The Walking Dead, they uh, get very explicit about the racism in that program uh, regularly. Uh, and that's, that's an, I was even looking to see if there were any correlations between what was happening with the Dorner situation and this uh, week, this past week's episode of Walking Dead, because it was the big return, like they uh, they had been on hiatus since I think, the first week of December. I think it had been two months since they'd shown a new episode and uh, they kind of left things at a pivotal moment but it was it was very racialized and there was even a moment that, I, that reminded me of the Dorner situation. Um, there are like four new individuals who have come to the encampment, like things have gotten so bad you go to prison to hide, things have gotten so bad like the metaphor that represents but there are four new people, two of them are black and two of them are white and uh, they are being allowed to stay but the people who are running the prison, the white people that are in charge, they've already let them know you might not be able to stay we're just looking out for you for the time being but you know, when the most powerful white person gets back, you might you know, have to kick the road So the two white people in this group of four, the two white people say, you know what, most of their group isn't here right now. There's only a child and a woman guarding us. (laughs) I'll say that again. There's only a white child and there's one white woman guarding us. So this would be a good time to attack them and take over. We could probably take them out. Nothing flat. The black people are like, what? You're going to go, that is crazy. We can't do that. I mean, that is absurd. How can you even think that? And they're like, look, in fact, (laughs) they said, look, it is survival of the fittest, Charles Darwin. And the world that you're talking about is over. We have got to do whatever we want. We are not going back out there with those walkers. Uh, We are going to do what we can to get resources and to save ourselves. Now, let's get that woman and the (laughs) child. I mean, they're just about to do it. The woman and child come over. Uh, to bring them supplies, or it's a white man, white woman, they come to bring them supplies, and the black, the two black people, it's a black male, black female, they jump in front of the white people who are scheming to take over, uh, they jump in front of them and take the tools from the white people. That's it, because they were getting tools, and they were thinking that these white people, the scheming white people, would take the tools and then bash them over the head with the shovel and kill them uh, and take over. Uh, so they jump in front, take the tools, and you know, kind of shield the white people away, and I thought, wow, Don't, Mr. Dorner uh, did, in my view, was following the same logic. If what we've been told is, is accurate uh, about him intervening or, or – telling because his partner, this white woman, had kicked this white suspect in the face, uh, and he thought this was really incorrect, and he mentions the uh, kicking victim repeatedly. They even talked to his dad, and I just thought that was similar. Uh, but anyway, I'll check out House of Cards if I have a moment. Uh, also, I checked uh, DailyMail.co.uk, and they uh, on the front page, they had uh, a report that said, burn that effing house down dramatic moment. Police smashed their way into fugitive cops, California hideaway as new pictures reveal blazing cabin in which killers charred body was found. Uh, and it gives different, uh, different it gives different little snippets uh one of the snippets says dorner's mother nancy seen drinking white wine and watching the tv coverage of her son's last stand at bar near her home fascinating they have pictures they have pictures
2: Mm.
3: Um, hey, I, I just wanted to throw in, um, I, like, when I lived in Denver years back, like, uh, one of the pieces of literature I was turned on to was, um, The Walking Dead, like, it was, like, a few years before they, they put it, they, they put it on the screen, you know, like, the original of the, uh, concept was a comic book, um, and I got addicted to it because it was pretty engrossing. But um, I don't know how gritty the, uh, the the television version is, but the uh, the elements of racism in the comic book were were um, were pretty uh, off the charts. I mean, not not like obvious, but just like I mean, for instance, there's this one scene where like one of the main black people in it. Gets his head sawed off like slowly over over like several pages. His head gets sawed off like with a, like a dull sword, and it takes like pages for it to get fully chopped off. And and all I mean just like the Ruby theme, like a, a a a woman a a white woman racist woman suspect racist a white woman gets like. uh... I mean a pregnant white woman gets slaughtered in this really, really terrible way, like really graphically. But I mean just like the I don't know. Comic book was pretty bad. But I was you know, I don't know.
0: A lot of it's maintained I haven't I haven't seen the comic book, but I have seen all of the episodes that have aired thus far and i think it holds true it's probably not as intense but it holds true. and it pro- it can't be because and i'm so i'm mad at myself cuz i can't believe i didn't bookmark it but i saw an interview uh where three of the cast members of walking dead were talking and someone asked them why they don't call the why they don't use the term zombies right they call them walkers um biters they don't call them zombies and they said that that would give it away like we can't do it that way that would give away what we're talking about and it didn't you know i was just like hey because i wasn't looking for that that's why i didn't bookmark it i don't even know how i found it but when it came back in my brain computer i was just like oh wow that was way because i mean we talked about that repeatedly zombie code word for black people just like niggers and and i think it was the white woman I, i'm Killing myself. I'm gonna have to try to see if I can dig back in my history and find it, but um, I think it was the white woman, the white, the pregnant white woman in the in the story. This is the pregnant white woman who gets killed. Um, she says, "Yeah, if we call them zombies, that would that would give it away what we're doing." And I think. Whew, This show is super popular. This is more popular than Breaking Bad. It comes on the same network as Breaking Bad, but it's more popular. uh, White people, they took out a full-page ad in the New York Times for this program when they were not showing new episodes, like it was in the middle of the two-month break uh, where there were no new episodes coming on, and they still had full-page ads in the New York Times uh, where you just (laughs) – the symbol is set in, in Atlanta, Georgia. I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's a lot like even the, the episode from this past weekend. It was so like so many of the conflicts were racialized where it was like all of the non-white people would be in agreement in what they think should be done. And it would be all white people opposing them. And the white people would would win, of course, uh, that would, like that was happening repeatedly uh, this past weekend. Um there was some other blatant. St- oh my god! There's a totally blatant uh, scene. right there, this blatantly racist guy's name is Merle. He's been calling people nigger. That's why I'm sure is that in the book in the comic book series? Do do they use the word nigger?
3: Is that the, the, the white guy with um? He's he's uh got the the um, you know the, the camper. Yes. Um, he wasn't he wasn't like that in the comic book, no. Hmm. Okay. He was, like, friendly. He was, like, a nice, old, friendly guy, you
0: know. Oh, that's... They have two... I, well, there there's more than one guy with a camper. Um, I think you might... There is another guy who has a camper, and he's old and friendly. I think his name is Dale, maybe?
3: Mm, I like, think it was years back. I can't remember exactly which, which character was Merle, which one was Dale.
0: Dale is the nice old guy. Merle one of
3: them- is... One of
0: a younger a younger famous, younger like wife or something right uh, Merle has a younger brother, and Dale has this is like two details <laughs> you all to watch this, yeah, this program you can watch it on your own time, but it I do think it reveals quite a bit about uh about racism and white supremacy. they do use the term nigger explicitly uh, in the program and uh, it's setting it I mean hey it's setting it they go to the CDC for goodness sake I mean it's incredible lots of racism um, anywho uh, one of our listeners emailed us in they said I must admit that the mental masturbation of hearing that Dre song felt good out of frustration so many black people are praising this guy I saw his Facebook page and it seemed like he like most of his pictures were about his military and law's law enforcement career, his degree, and his white friends. I suspect he was devastated when the rhetorical ethic was destroyed. I use this his posting of the Jesse Jackson race card as an example of confusion. And he did put that on my Facebook page. I think that was one of the images that uh, Christopher Dorn that's been attributed to his Facebook page. Might not even be white people could have put that up. Um, that, in fact, that's what I've seen. White people tend to get on that anyway. But yeah, he's got this uh, Jesse Jackson race card. But even that that contradicts what I've heard. They have been saying that racism. I heard this one. Uh, David D's radio program uh, earlier this week he said or he was talking to a guest who reported or alleged to be a friend quote unquote of Dorner and he said that Dorner had been focused on racism like all of his life Uh, it's in the manifesto that's attributed to him that he was called nigger in school Uh, he was at a Christian school or what have you and they were calling him nigger uh, and he says, the, the guest that was on said that this was also a problem while he was in college in Utah uh, dealing with racism, apparently some blatant white supremacists. Uh, and then it kept reoccurring while he was at LAPD. I mean, I just don't understand. I don't understand why somebody, if they have, have consistently been complaining about racism, why they would have a race card. photo. So that, that, that just doesn't make sense to me. Most of this doesn't make sense to me. Um, His his other note was uh, Merle Dixon and Daryl Dixon, most popular characters, neither Merle nor Daryl are part of the comic. Oh, okay. He knows a little bit more about it. Okay, so they added they added some care. Well, that's interesting. I didn't know who the most popular character. I thought it was probably uh, the sheriff guy. I forgot his name. I thought it would probably be him. But uh, yeah, Uh, Merle is blatantly racist, uses the term nigger. Uh, he beats a black guy down. He pistol whips him in and, and the whole nine like he uh, unrefined all the way. Anywho, um, I was going to uh, I was going to play 100 Miles and Running" and then we can we can wrap. I thought this was interesting because this was played. The context when I heard this, there was a program. It was non-white people. They were talking about Dorner they took a commercial break, and this is what they played. And this was, it was before yesterday, uh, before Tuesday. So this was before the whole cabin thing. I think there had been no updates. There had been no new reports. They didn't know where he was. He hadn't surfaced. There had been no sightings, nothing. So that was when this played, uh, when, they, when they had this song. This is NWA, same group, NWA, 100 miles and running. Context to white supremacy.
5: And why do we call ourselves niggas for life? Because if we die, we're still going to be some dead niggas.
0: miles and running, uh, I will just say quickly, white people are the master deceivers in the known universe. A part of their deception package is being able to package things in a manner that you will believe what they want you to believe. You will think speak, and act in a manner that is what they want. Now, I would say you can take some of the very people who are responsible for that song, uh, the songs we've heard from N.W.A., Ice Cube. Now, white people in the late 80s, early 90s packaged him as a criminal, thug, dangerous hoodlum, killer, this same person is now packaged and does family movies, slapstick comedies. Same person. Before it was he had a gun, death, oh, all the time. Same, everything that you just heard. That was the whole image that they packaged. This is what they marketed. This is the way we want you to think about this victim of racism. 20 years down the road. He's doing G-rated family movies with Nia Long. And I'm not mad. Nia Long is gorgeous. Hey, right on. I'm just saying, white people are master deceivers. Keep that in mind. And I would also just say, just evaluate Professor Griff on this very program. He talked about his view about racism, and white supremacy, and how, that, how racists manipulated and used that group and to what ends. Uh, That was uh, on his first visit to the cows, 2009. Uh, Also, just look at, you know, some of the people that were involved. Uh, Given what we've talked about, topics that have come up on this program, the fact that we have been told uh, EZE died from AIDS. So we have been told. Given, you know, information we've shared about what is known as AIDS on this program, uh, Dr. Dre, not only is he affiliated with this group, he is also the person who's looked at as being responsible for, The uh, prolific careers of Eminem and 50 Cent can evaluate their music if you think it's constructive. I think Eminem, Elvis of of, uh, hip-hop, a lot of racism, white supremacy there. And Dr. Trey would also be connected with them and, you know, them being as popular as they are. Um, Already touched on Ice Cube. Just even Snoop Dogg's career. (laughs) Just follow, you know. I, I would just say again, anything, if you white supremacist, white people They have constructed their system so that it is lucrative. It is profitable to practice racism. As I said, you got a lot of white enforcement officers, male and female, who just racked up a lot of overtime in the apparent death of a victim of racism. At least what's been alleged. They make it very lucrative. Anything that supports the system of racism, white supremacy, and I'd say the black people that are in this group, they seem to have, you know, made a lot of money putting out this sort of content. You can evaluate for yourself if you think it is constructive or if this is something that is just helping to maintain, strengthen the system of racism, white supremacy. Uh, I will mute my line. Anybody want to get into anything else?
4: Just that song itself, as I was hearing it, I was sitting here uh, jotting down notes from my own manifesto. (laughs)
0: Wow. Wow. Mm.
2: Yeah. Wow.
4: You know, I... I used to, you know, I've done music for so long and I always thought about how instrumental Public Enemy has been in shaping my music taste, but just hearing those two songs today, I didn't realize how impactful NWA actually has been in terms of a lot of the songs that I've liked over the years and even some of the songs that I like today. It's pretty interesting.
3: I i was just going to comment on, like I was thinking about the whole thing with the, the revamping of that, um, that television show you're talking about, The Walking Dead, and it seems like um, the refinement happened because like, the original was kind of coherent, like it wasn't like oh this person is racist and this person isn't, it was more like there were certain decisions that were made that led to racist things happening and, but then and it seems like you're saying there's people in it that are like oh you know niggers blah 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 niggers are bad you know but it was like there was nothing like that in the original comic book, but it was like it was extremely clear that black people go on the bottom, you know, so just the refinement. I was just thinking about that.
0: Uh, Okay. Yeah, they still have uh, a lot of the television program, in my opinion, does revolve around decision-making and white people having to manage Chaotic situations and you know difficult problems, and having to make um life ending decisions life threatening decisions uh, and you know dealing with the consequences, but a lot of it also they do just have explicit scenes of racism <laughs> like uh' some of the what you're talking about where' just that's just the way things work out, and it ends up being black people being mistreated, but they also have some very explicit in your face you are a nigger. You are a chink. Uh, you should be mistreated because you are black. You should be mistreated because you're, they have, like, explicit spots of that throughout, the, uh, throughout the, the television series, even this past weekend. Yeah, there
3: wasn't any of that in the comic book, really. Not until, like, m- really, really, like,
0: like, years down the line. So that was interesting. The guy Merle who uh called the black male nigger and pistol whipped him uh earlier in the series uh he uh He calls this black female she's gorgeous, she looks like laura hill um he calls her uh my nubian queen she, was, she was like, I mean it's just clowning, it's total clowning he calls her uh my Nubian queen, and he uh implies that she's a lesbian. Uh, because she, she, like, was in the role of the help. She was taking care of this white woman, and she has, like, survival skills, and she was keeping the, the zombies away. And uh, at any rate, so long way down the road, they get split up. And uh, the white people try to kill the black female, of course, and the white woman decides she's not going to hang out with her anymore. And so, uh, yeah, the the white guy who has just been the explicit racist, uh, he's making all this these comments like, yeah, she's just a lesbian. She's hanging out with that white girl, but she left you. She doesn't want to be with you anymore and all that. My Nubian queen, he's, it's just clowning, clowning, clowning.
3: Yeah, I think they create a character brand new just for uh, for white people to be like, "Oh yeah, we're not racist, you know." That's him. He's racist. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Anyway, interesting program today. Thanks again.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Be back.
4: Yeah, the guest was interesting. She was. Uh pretty interesting um it was interesting to hear her views on xenophobia just pretty interesting the whitest of whiteness that was pretty interesting
0: Mm -hmm. and our time too i thought bruce vine would appreciate that the amount of uh the emphasis that she put on her time and what her time is worth to do this work. And I think she said $600 a day. I'm not sure if she said that was in pounds or uh, U.S. dollars, but I thought she said $600 uh, per day, which, uh, yeah, I would hope it was 600. If it was 600 pounds, like, that would be, whoa, that would be, like, closer to $1,000 a day, like, uh, highly valuing her time. She said that later in the mid-time is money. She said it again, like, uh, wow. So, and just knowing that these reports, I think she said that these sort of reports, and this is like a 45-page report, that these sort of reports normally cost about $45,000 U.S. I, white people waste a lot of money and trees putting these sort of documents together to pretend that they are going to do something about racism. $45,000 Yeah,
4: I I thought it was interesting when I asked her um, what would she do if there was no racism, white supremacy, and she said she's involved in a number of different areas of research and study, but one thing that I've noticed about a number of individuals who uh, claim to be working against racism, white supremacy, but classify themselves as white, that have been on this program is that these individuals are benefiting benefiting quite well from their papers, their lectures, their books, their videos, and all these other different things that they are putting forth, and they're benefiting quite handsomely. And just like the... Uh, oncologist does not want cancer cure or the cured or the immunologist doesn't want AIDS cured, I don't believe that those individuals want racism, white supremacy to be obliterated, because it would uh, get rid of their stream of income.
2: Hmm.
3: Yeah. They, 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 it's like these, these professionals, they want to get on this, they want to get on this podium and then be like, uh, um, like she, she was like, you know, it's not like she, I guess she's not a, uh, behavior whatever, you know, um, a, a, a sociologist or whatever, so she's not supposed to have the answers as to why or, you know, stuff like that, but, um. Just to be so, dude, so like, like, you know, I have no idea why this is happening. This is just, you know, they act like they were born yesterday, but it's like they're getting, like, salary to, like, you know, they're getting paid salary to, like, uh, address these situations, and it's just, like, it just becomes, like, you said, like it becomes its own thing. It's, own, it's just a job. You know, it just becomes another job. So, job security. So,
4: I mean, I've been listening to the last few programs with Jay Love, Calderon, the other Dr. Francis, I don't remember what her name was, and just listening to those um, programs and listening to today's program, I suspect that a lot of these individuals actually probably sit around and talk about this program and talk about, more specifically about how they're going to come on the program and how well they did, probably facing some pushback on different aspects of their work. And I think, actually, they may actually even get a kick out of it. It may even be a a sort of proving ground for them for some reason because um, Jay Calderon and the other Dr. Francis, whatever her last name was, they were very familiar with a number of other guests who were on the program. Many of them said that they had uh, consistent contact with Tim Wise. So I can't imagine that this program or this platform wouldn't have been discussed. And I wonder, actually, I'm looking forward to a guest moving forward to asking them, do they stand around and actually talk about this program? Or listen to the archives of this program to prepare come on the program.
3: Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure it would stand out, you know, a thorn in their craw in a way. I I never heard any programs like this one where um, it's so consistent Addressing those uh these white people that you know make tons of money talk about races might never heard that before in any type of intelligent manner you know
0: mhm. I'll be looking forward to that response as well. We should have more white people to come this month. Appreciating that. And we should have Norm Stamper should be here on Sunday. I'm so excited about that. Uh, He did uh, the book Breaking Rank. Uh, You've heard his sound clip repeatedly, I guess, uh, unless you just started listening to the cows. You've uh, either heard the program or you heard the sound clip. Uh, Don't forget your nigger knocker. That is Norm Stamper Breaking Rank. Uh, he is the former chief of police uh, for Seattle. Uh, he's also spent many, many years uh, as an enforcement officer in San Diego, Southern California. I am very interested to hear uh, his views on the Dorner situation Um, Yeah, just as someone with a lot of experience as an enforcement officer and knowing, talking about, being honest about the racism in the uh, police departments, uh, just his view on what's been reported. I'm interested to hear what he thinks about the line where uh, in the manifesto it says that uh, the the black supervisors who practice racism against the white cadets the, as some sort of revenge for when they were mistreated by white superiors, that these black supervisors are perpetuating the cycle of racism. I'm paraphrasing, but he says that phrase specifically perpetuating the cycle of racism. Like, I would be very curious to hear what Mr. Stanford thinks about that uh, because he talks in his book about black officers. Uh, having to support racism. Uh, he even uh, talks in his book, there's a scene where he uh, he's trying to address racism in the department, and he says that a black officer broke down in tears in front of him uh, at the sort of racist jokes and racist things that were being said on a constant basis. And he had to laugh and go along and agree with this stuff, and he said he felt like he was having to demean himself and demean black people constantly uh, in tears. Um, so I'm very interested to see if he has seen anything of this, heard anything about this, black supervisors mistreating uh, white cadets uh, and this perpetuating a cycle of racism in the police department, as well as just other aspects. I think it'd be cool to hear his opinion on what's been going down. Anywho, uh, but that is not till Sunday. We will be on many times before then, uh, most notably uh, tomorrow. Dr. John Hoberman, white man. Uh, University of Texas Austin. he's a professor at the university where that white girl who is uh, the plaintiff in the Supreme Court case where they're discussing affirmative action, uh, he's a professor there, so he might have some insight on that as well. But anyway, we're talking about his book, Black and Blue, Racism in the Healthcare Industry. Uh, It surprisingly talks about white doctors uh, avoiding, obfuscating, denying that the racial health disparities exist because the white doctors are racist uh, and how it's that's pretty much got to be what it is is what he's saying and uh, just looking at the different ways that white doctors and other people make excuses and uh, find any other reason for these disparities except white doctors being racist Uh, tomorrow 8 p.m. Eastern 7 p.m. Central 5 p.m. Pacific Dr. John Hoberman Uh, If you want to hear the archives, when he was here before, uh, it was, again, September 2009. September 2009. Uh, Invest, if you think the program is constructive, listener supportive, definitely thank everyone who has contributed, made it possible for us to remain on the air all of these years. Uh, You can visit the YouTube page. I'm going to see if I can dig out some time over the next few days and crank out another uh, video, but... uh, Check out the YouTube page, uh, the blog as well, racism-notes.blogspot.com. PayPal is in the top right corner. uh, The new uh, post on Christopher Dorner, Uh, that should be the top post. Uh, You can see the video that I did on the Dorner situation as well. Um, Share if you think it is uh, constructive. We will be back on uh, tomorrow evening. Uh, let's see. Oh, first time, Ed Shadow, he said the first time he ever heard white guys blasting rap music, it was NWA. Yeah, I would say keep that in mind, too. I've heard a lot of, of white people doing uh, NWA. Oh, like They know all the lyrics. <laughs> they know uh, everything. I think 909, he was saying that there was a documentary or something where it was Eminem, and Ice-T, and they were singing some of Ice-T's old lyrics, and Eminem had memorized them all. Like, Ice-T had forgotten some of the lyrics to his own song, and Eminem, he knew them all. Like, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I seen, I've seen that all my life, all my life. N.W.A. does not bother white people at all. They will invite them over to do a private birthday party at their house, uh, and then maybe even offer their wife. For anyway. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I hope it was a constructive investment of your Wednesday afternoon. Uh, We'll be back at the regular program time tomorrow. I'll be delighted about that. Uh, We will just do our quick prayer. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice as soon as possible. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Hope it was a constructive investment of your time. Cows signing out. Nigga, you so brainwashed.
2: I'm a victim, your brother. Problem.
0: You're a victim. I'm up. a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
2: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
0: Ah. Oh.